Good evening, commissioners. Um, I'm gonna wait just a couple of minutes because I think Jim should be on. And I think also Andy indicated that he was joining, as did Paul Weiss. So we'll give it just a few and then we'll launch. I've got one person on the um, participants list just listed under John. Um, if that person could tell me who they are. This is John DeNicholas. DeNicholas? Correct. Okay. D-E? D-I-N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S. Okay, thank you. Jim DeFrancia has joined. Jim, good to see you.
Hopefully we get start the meeting in person here pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. That would be good. Um, I see Andy joins and so did Paul. Perfect. Okay. Uh, before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping and some odds and ends. Um, number one, I'm going to confirm for everyone that this is, in fact, a Zoom meeting. And under normal circumstances, um, we would have um, advertised um, and posted properties and so on and so forth. Because this is really an extension or a tabling, um, we have, in fact, noted it in the county on the county website. Uh, but the other postings have been considered to be taken care of already. Um, I'd like to move a little farther forward and tell everyone from an operating standpoint, it really works well if uh, everyone keeps themselves on mute unless they are addressing the commissioners and or um, asking questions or that type of thing. Uh, back to the meeting venue again, um, it is available for participants to participate by phone. That information is on the agenda, which again is published on the website, uh, the county website under the planning department. Another matter that typically we don't get into, but because there's so many phases in here, we typically like to keep the video um, portion or the videos limited to staff and um, commissioners and then at that point in time, when the public, we open this up for public comment, uh, at that point, then we would uh, expect to see the videos from the public. So what I guess I'm trying to say that unless you are a commissioner or part of staff, I'd appreciate it if you uh, um, shut the video part of your uh, off. Thank you. Uh, going one last item on my agenda is our housekeeping, sorry. When it comes time that questions need to be um, asked or there's an issue out there, there is a feature on the Zoom platform that provides for raising hands um, that works reasonably well. And between Christy and myself and Sarah, we generally will see who's got a question and who, um, who has an issue to talk about and we'll recognize it then. If for some reason you're having difficulties making that feature work, I would uh, recommend just wave your hand on the screen and we'll find, we'll find you somehow, some way. Thank you. Um, at this point in time, I'd like to call to order the June 3rd meeting of the Route County Planning Commission and welcome uh, the commissioners as well as the public. Uh, at this point in time, Sarah, if you would be so kind as to call the roll. Okay, hang on one sec. Just keeping track of who just joined. Okay. Uh, Steve Warnke. Here. Brian Kelly. Present. Andrew Benjamin. Here. Roberta Marshall. I saw her. She's there. Bill Norris. Here. Greg Yeager. Here. Peter Flint. Here. Linda Miller. Here. Paul Weiss. Here. Uh, Jim DeFrancia. Here. And Ren Martin, who I do not think is coming. I would agree with that. Um, for the record, we have a quorum. Um, at this point in time, the first item on the agenda 
would be um, anyone wishing to address the commissioners on any item that is not on the agenda this evening, now would be the time to do so. Hearing none and seeing none, uh, we'll move to the next item on the agenda, which will be approval of the minutes from April 1st, 2021. Are there any corrections, additions, or deletions? Hearing none, um, I'll, I'll assume that the commissioners are approving them unless there is a nay. Are there any nays wishing to disapprove the minutes of April 1st? I still need a motion. Uh, I move sorry. we approve the minutes of April 1st. Thank you, Brian. 21. Second. Got it. Thank you, Andy. Again, any nays um, on the April 1st minutes? Perfect. Hearing none, we'll move to the minutes of April 15th, 2021. Again, any corrections, additions, or deletions to the minutes of April 15th? I move we approve the minutes of April 15th, 2021. Second. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Brian. All those, again, any nays on the approval of those minutes? Hearing none, the minutes from April 15th, 2021 are approved. Lastly, the minutes from May, May 6th, 2021. Again, any additions, corrections, deletions? I move we approve the minutes of May 6th, 2021. Second. Thank you, Brian. Peter, did you do the second? I'm that was Jim. Jim. Thank you, Jim. Okay. Next item on the agenda. Item for consideration, the Landalute subdivision tabled from May 6, 2021. Uh, we've got a couple of things that we need to go through. First of all, there has been a request um, from an adjoining property owner. Mr. Farrell has asked that the this evening's meeting be tabled for the benefit of the commissioners so that you understand this is a, uh, Mr. Farrell does it in fact, A, have standing, B, this is a commissioner's uh, decision jointly. So eventually we'll get to a point where we're gonna need a motion uh, on the tabling. Before we get to that point, um, I just think it's important for all of us to recognize uh, the events that have taken place in the timetables. So briefly, I'm just going to summarize um, how we got to where we're at. Hey, Steve. Yes. Hey, it's Andy. Yeah. Once again, I'd like to you know, bring to the board members' attention, uh, planning commission members' attention that I do uh, work with one of the consultants on this project. I have not had any communications with that consultant. I am not working on this particular project and have no financial gain. Um, of course, if someone wants me to step down, I will be happy to. Um, but as always, I feel I can be objective in this particular matter. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Andy. And you made note of that at the last meeting. Um, and I appreciate that again. And then Paul, um, I think you've got the same issue, but again, you've notified the commissioners at the last meeting, the May 6th meeting, and 
recused herself accordingly. So to that extent, um, I think we can move on forward. Thank you. Um, so in summary and kind of a chronological issue, this, uh, this petition um, was published in the pilot on March 13th for the 415, April 15th hearing. Additionally, on that day, four adjoining property owners were noticed. Stall Investments, Tamara and Michael Farrell, Red Hawk HOA, and I've forgotten the fourth. Um, Andy, help me quick. Uh, Alan. Uh, <clears throat> their last name was Felix. I don't have it go. right in front yep. of me. Thank you. Appreciate that. I'll go forward and notice that on three, on March 25th, SPOA, uh, Stagecoach Property Owners Association, was noticed. On 4.15, or at the 4.15 meeting, uh, we um, tabled the petition in the hearing until May 6th. The purpose and the reason was there was a flaw. The property hadn't been posted appropriately. Um, on May 6th, we again heard the petition and um, tabled it until tonight, this evening, for the specific purpose of allowing the petitioner to submit a revised um, site plan and plan. And this was in part a direct result of input from the public, as well as comments from our own commissioners. Um, I will tell you that the petitioner had a deadline by which to file the amended plan, which he met. Um, I want to remind everybody that this is a recommendation hearing and this commission and the board of commissioners will only make a recommendation to the board of county commissioners who will ultimately decide. I also wish to remind everyone that this is a sketch subdivision um, and to go one notch farther, um, I will also note that it is my intention to have and receive public comment on at that point in time when it's appropriate on the uh, revised petition only. Um, oh, and one or two other additional items. Um, as the petitioner met the filing deadline, it should also be noted that we, the commissioners or the planning commission, and we also received comments from both SPOA and a gentleman by the name of Lauderman, and I'm not sure how that fits in here, but I'm sure it'll surface. So with that thought in mind, I'm gonna open it up for discussion and solicit comments from the commissioners as to whether or not they think we should continue to table this as requested by um, Mr. Farrell. Andy has his hand raised. Andy. So is there a, is there a noticing issue, Christy? Did we, did we meet all of our deadlines? Did we do all our due diligence? We did. Um, I think it's important that that letter at least be admitted into the record and noted as such um, that it was requesting a tabling. Um, I'd be interested to hear the other commissioners' comments on uh, whether that matter should move forward or not. Uh, 
Linda, you have any thoughts? I think the notice requirements have been met. Um, and in light of that, I think that we need to move forward. Brian? I agree with Linda and Andy. I, I think the all the due diligence has been done on this and I honestly don't know what else is gonna come forward. We've gotten letters in the last few days from both SPOA and uh, uh, one of the jump, Mike Farrell. So it seems like the neighborhood knows what's going on out there. Uh, Mr. Norris. I agree with Brian that, uh, yeah, I think everybody out there knows and they've all been past the site to see it. There's a notice at the site and uh, it's, it's perfectly obvious to just about everybody out there. I think we should move forward. Thank you, Bill. Uh, Roberta. I agree. Thank you. <laughs> Peter. I agree. Let's move forward. Okay. And Greg? Comfortable moving forward. Okay. Then I'll entertain a motion to deny the request to table this meeting. Um, I so move. Second. Thank you. thank you, Jim. And the second was who? Brian. Brian. Thank you, Brian. Um, all those in favor? Well, let's, I think in this matter, maybe what I want to do is a roll call. So, Sarah, if you would be so kind to call the roll. Hey. On the yeah, okay. On the matter of uh, denying yes. the request yes. to table. Okay. Uh, Jim DeFrancia? Aye. Paul Weiss? Oh, he's recused. Um, uh, Linda Miller? Aye. Peter Flint? Yes. Greg Yeager? Yes. Bill Norris? Yes. Roberta Marshall? Yes. Andy Benjamin? Yes. Brian Kelly? Yes. And Steve Warnke? Yes. For the record, let it be forward, let it be known that based on the voice vote, um, I'm sorry, based on the roll call, the petition, the request to table this petition is denied. Um, we'll move forward. Uh, I, Alan, I'm a little confused. Do we want to have, um, you want to make a little bit of a comment on um, the PC memo? Uh, sure. And then the, then the applicant will make his comments. Yes, please. Okay. Yeah. So, I would like to reiterate that this is a recommendation to the Board of County Commissioners who has the final decision authority. And that hearing with the board is June 15th at 9.40 a.m. And Christy, is that going to be an in-person hearing or is that Zoom? Uh, Um, it is my understanding they will be going to an in-person format the following week. Um, I believe the commissioners are trying to confirm um, whether or not they're going to move to in-person or not. Um, so we will need to put um, some information on our website. Um, 
I should mention that no matter if it's in person or over Zoom, the public will have the ability um, to call in over Zoom. So it's just a question of whether the commissioners um, and staff are going to be meeting in person, but um, applicants and the public will have the ability to meet over Zoom and information about that will be available um, in the probably in the next week or so when they make that determination. Okay, thanks. So just as a recap, this is a revised application because at the original hearing, Planning Commission felt that the proposed density was too much. So it was tabled in a deadline of May 20th to have the revised material submitted uh, was placed on that tabling and that deadline was met. And so I'm going to just start sharing my screen. I've got a few graphics that I would like to show you. So, so this is the site right here outlined in red. It's these three lots that are part of the Snokomo filing filing to subdivision. Um, Red Hawk to the south of it, Meadow Green to the east of it, and then um, property owned by Stahl to the west and the, and the north. Um, and then I also have, and so this is the, the subdivision that is currently that has been approved, but has not been recorded. And so that involves lot nine and it splits lot nine into a lot one and a lot two. And so with the, the four lots that have been approved, um, the density that is allowed on all this entire site is, is eight. And so uh, that is the basis for what we are evaluating the additional impacts that would be created from the proposed subdivision is going from eight lots that could be built um, to the proposed, I think it's 14. So in the revised proposal, the number of lots stays the same and that's 10 but the size and the zoning of those lots were changed. The original application proposed 22 units uh, with the change in the size of the, the lots and the, oh, let me back up. And the, the zoning for the entire property would be medium density residential. And so based on the revised sizes of the lots and, sorry, so here, here's, the, here's the proposal. So if you remember, there were uh, larger lots down here the, and then the six single family lots up here. So the only thing that has done is the, these lots have been made smaller and the zoning is now proposed to be medium density residential. And so based on the size of the lots and the proposed zoning, the maximum density that could be put on this site is 14 units. 
Um, in addition to the letter from Mike Farrell that was in the staff packet, two additional letters were received after the staff packet had gone out. One came from the Stagecoach Property Owners Association and one came from John Lanterman and those were provided to Planning Commission on Tuesday morning. And so because the revisions resulted in a decrease in density, a corresponding reduction in impacts is anticipated from this project. And because of the reduction in impacts, the revision does not change staff's opinion or comments that were contained in the original staff packet. Um, on the the future land use map that is contained in the stagecoach community plan, if you zoom in close enough, right above this S, it's a, a tan color, that is the subject property. And so the future land use map has this entire area designated as uh, existing residential. And the definition of existing residential is the purpose of this zone district is to permit no change over existing zoning. The underlying zoning for these areas provide for a variety of housing types and densities. And so just would like to talk about uh, development plans and the stagecoach community plan. And so from, from the, the plan itself, it says that this plan is advisory and that its recommendations are intended to serve as a guide for decision makers in evaluating the merits of development proposals. That language is, um, provides some flexibility. Uh, it, they are not requirements. They are not statements that say it must comply with this. These are advisory policies and it makes recommendations to serve as a guide for decision makers. So non-compliance with one aspect of the plan could be a reason for denial. However, non-compliance with one aspect of the plan does not require a denial of an application. And as stated in the plan, it's advisory and it's to serve as a guide. Strict compliance with all aspects of the plan is not necessary in order for an application to be in compliance with the plan. Staff identified multiple policies that we believe the proposal is in compliance with, uh, which in the opinion of staff shows that the proposal is in compliance with the stagecoach plan. And those policies are listed in the findings of fact that are contained in the planning commission memo. Uh, as stated at the previous hearing, there are 250 vacant lots that are able to be served with water and sewer by the Morrison Creek Metro Water District. And this is a map of those lots. So you can see that most of them are in the, the northern areas of Stagecoach immediately around the, the subject lots. And so there was a statement made at the last hearing about the number of homes that have been 
built-in stagecoach over the past several years. I reached out to the assessor's office and the building department to quantify how many houses have been built in the, in the past several years. And so in 2017, 12 houses were started. 2018, eight houses were started. 2019, 16 were started and five have been started or five were started in 2020. Uh, so that's almost 30 homes that have been built in the, in the past several years. And that does not include homes that have been started this year in 2021. So those are all of the comments that I have right now. Uh, I am certainly open available to take uh, questions and provide any answers. Um, my thought process, Alan, would be to go to the petitioner and hear from him. Okay. And then we'll open it up to questions to either him or you or both. <clears throat> so, um, oh, okay. Rebecca, I'm guessing you're speaking for um, Four the points. petitioner? Yes. Thank yes, you. thanks. Thank you. Good evening. So I'm I'm here representing Four Points Surveying and Engineering, and I'm joined tonight by Chris Rainsberger from Eagle Mountain Builders as the owner and the developer of this proposed development. So we definitely appreciate the time and the opportunity to present the revisions to the proposed development. And as Alan mentioned, this is a resubmittal of the subdivision sketch plan zoning amendment going from general residential to medium density residential for the parcel. We heard the comments from the planning commission and the public during the meeting in April and really wanted to come back to the table to the meeting with something um, that addressed the comments that we heard from the community and from you all. And so as was mentioned, we've reduced from 22 units with a high density residential zoning request down to four duplex lots and six residential lots with a medium density zoning request. Also wanna note that there are no variances being requested as part of the sketch plan. Um, and agree with the, the numbers that were mentioned about 30 homes being built as a resident of Steamboat. It's um, pretty interesting how the housing shortage has just gone exponential in the last year, year and a half. And one of the goals of this development is to provide reasonable housing for the community, for Route County, um, create opportunity, and of course, being compatible with the Route County master plan and the stagecoach community plan where we can. So the site plan that is up on the computer screen shows the layout for the lots as proposed. So the bottom access road is a 24 foot wide paved access road with the four duplex lots as shown. And those are each approximately 12,000 square feet. They're consistent with duplex sizing in the area, um, neighboring properties. We've kept the duplexes down lower and then the six lots uh, above off the cul-de-sac are the single family housing location off a separate drive. We have included the soft surface trails throughout the center of the development, as well as along the Southern boundary to provide connectivity 
through the development and also ultimate connectivity with the SPOA trail network, because we knew that was very important for the community to continue that connectivity of the trail network. We also added guest parking for the development, which is always appreciated. And we're looking at approximately one additional guest parking space per unit here, which would be a great amenity um, and keep traffic inside the development. We also have open space, which we increased slightly with this revision, um, a dog park and a tot lot, a little playground for kids there as well. We really do feel that this fits in well with the character of the surrounding areas with some single family homes adjacent as well as you know the parcel uphill, Red Hawk Village, Eagle's Nest to the south, Wagon Wheel to the east, all of those are high density residential. And so this fits in well having a medium density residential specification. The single family homes lots that we have for this development um, match the sizing within the Meadow Green subdivision that's nearby as well as the neighborhood at Young's Peak. And the duplexes would be of similar footprint to the Red Hawk Village duplexes also in the general vicinity. Relative to impacts, uh, we did reach out to Morrison Creek Water and Sanitation District to talk through the capacity and the demand. And they are actually very supportive of supplying this development. So we don't feel like there will be a impact from water or sewer related to the development. And the owner actually went to the expense of having a traffic study done. I know that was not um, formally submitted, but it was based on the previous higher number of units, the 22. And the report determined that the development will have little or no impact on the study intersections following full build out. So relative to the community concerns of traffic and water, we feel like those things are covered and within reason for the development. And then we recognize that the other question and concern that's come up from, come up from the community is related to um, a view corridor or construction on the hillside. And a couple of things, you know, we've, we've gone to the effort of focusing the duplex lots lower down on the hillside. And then also noting that the medium density residential doesn't actually change the maximum building height. So for residential, general residential and the MDR, they're both 40 feet. So this isn't going above and beyond what could be built with residential single family houses. So we feel like it fits in well with the diversity and the desire for diverse housing types in this area and being in context with nearby development and completing the infill of existing subdivisions, which is also one of the goals of the guiding documents. The Stagecoach Master Plan indicates that high density development should be located in the north area of Stagecoach. So we fit into that requirement and that new housing areas be in areas with existing water and sewer, which we also meet that requirement. There's also an interesting guidance in there about limiting grading, um, which is also met here because we've utilize the existing roadways that were cut in before. So we don't have to do much um, cut and fill from those roughed in roadways for the primary access. So we feel like that's a, a good benefit of the layout of the property. 
And our focus here really is meeting the code for the sketch plan zoning amendment and fitting in with the existing character of the community. And at this point, Chris, do you have anything to add? Um, thank you, Rebecca. Um, I just want to introduce myself formally. I'm Chris Rainsberger, and let me start this thing. Sorry, guys. Um, and yes, so we, we, I couldn't have said it better, Rebecca. I mean, that's exactly what we did. We, um, you know, I just want to point out that we note the local um, necessity for these housing developments. We live locally, we're a local builder, we're not a developer just coming to the area to put lots out there. As a concern, we're actually here to build housing for the community, um, which we feel is very, it's extreme necessary right now with even my employees and um, employees in the trades. So that's pretty much it. And um, I appreciate it, Rebecca. Thank you. I don't have anything else to add. Okay, thank you, Rebecca, yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Um, and you're available uh, as is Chris for questions from the commissioners. Yes, sir. May service, correct? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, I'd like to start uh, commissioners questions for staff and or the petitioner now would be the time to do so. Peter has his hand raised. Yeah, Peter. Yeah, I have um, three commission, uh, three questions for the owner slash developer. When did you requ When did you acquire this property? Were you aware of the zoning at the time? And the third question is, what was your plan for this property when you um, acquired it? And did that plan include a request for rezoning? Uh, yeah, Peter, uh, we actually closed on this property in November of 2020. Um, we were aware of the zoning and we were also um, aware of the possibility due to the surrounding environment of the high density zoning that there would be a possibility to put actual attainable housing in that area. And that was the goal going into this was the original site plan. And, um, you know, I felt that the need that this is a great area for that. And it's right across from an apartment complex and a PUD neighborhood and, and felt it was a great fit. But you were aware at the time you acquired it that it would require rezoning. That's correct. Okay, thank you. Yes. Other questions? Uh, Alan, I have one or two maybe. Uh, Greg has know? his um, hand raised after you. I'm sorry, go ahead, Greg. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I was going to ask Alan for a little bit more of a history, if he could, he found any more uh, of the zone change because it was originally high density and then it went to uh, what it is currently. And if you had any more history uh, from the last time, I I don't have any more history. I failed to write that down, so it did not get researched. 
Um, I, I actually had a conversation with the general manager of uh, the water and sand district there in stagecoach, Morrison Creek that is. Um, and I asked, asked him, um, I had a conversation with him today and I happened to ask him if he had any knowledge in their records of the zone change. And it was his, it, it was his um, understanding is that the request came from the developer at the time. And it was that single family homes were just more desirable. Um, and, um, and so they asked to change the zone to, so they could build single family. And that was the rationale that he had. Um, we didn't have detailed information in our files as to that, um, but it was a conversation I did have as of today. Uh, anyone else? Ellen, um, I, I have a question. Can you pull up the GIS aerial that you've had at the beginning, kind of, I think it was the beginning, that one. So do you know, first of all, are you doing that live? And can you get rid of um, all the numbers? <laughs> yes. Perfect. So Red Hawk, is the one that's immediately to the south. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the lot sizes are typically there? Uh, 0.13 acres. Okay. About. Yep, about, yeah, okay. And those really are apartments, right? No, they're single family homes. Uh, that's what I thought, okay. Cause somebody said apartments already and I thought, really? Um, okay, so the single family homes are basically 13 hundredths of an acre. And then could you do the meadow green? Well, we've got half an acre, uh, 0.31 acres. Okay, that's close enough. 0.46. Okay. okay, that was my question, I guess. Alan, Any what? Can you just click on um, for Planning Commission uh, wagon wheel as well? There's wagon wheel down here. Yep, that's it. Yep, okay, thank you. Uh, Linda has her hand raised. Linda. A um, couple questions. Christy, when did the, I guess it would have been the prior developer make that request to go from the HD uh, high density to the um, general density? Um, I, I, I don't have that date, I believe Alan does, but it was well before the stagecoach community plan um, came into effect. Um, so he can just pull that up as we are speaking and he can give you that date. So, but it, I think that answers my question. That was done before uh, the 2017 stagecoach sub area plan went in. Was that is 
That is correct. And we can provide a little more history of the future land use map that was created for the Stagecoach Community Plan. Um, when we initially went into the update of the Stagecoach Community Plan, um, there was really no appetite initially to create a future land use plan. Um, it essentially was at the 11th hour actually, um, and for those of you that were on planning commission and recall the timeline, um, the adoption of that plan got stalled some because one of the largest landholders, the Wittemeyers, were, um, were not part of the process at the time. And even though we had tried to engage them in the process, being that they were one of the largest landowners, land holdings that is, and had the only commercially zoned property at the time. Um, what happened was literally, it was a couple of months before the adoption, the new proposed developers came before planning commission and the board um, to say that they were interested to develop a ski area and also be involved in the process. Um, but they, because of negotiations, weren't really able to um, uh, be part of the process because it wasn't in the contract at the time. Um, so the adoption was actually put off, if you recall, because the, the, the new potential owners um, who wanted to develop the ski area wanted to be part of the process. And it was an afterthought at that point to consider having a future land use map included in the Stagecoach Community Plan. Um, and as far as the research was done, we, um, we established the recreation oriented development over the ski area to kind of leave that door open for some sort of recreation type development to occur there. And we didn't have the detail at that time and the developers weren't allowed to really even work with staff on what their plan would look like. So it was essentially a place saver that was put over the ski area and also the Marina golf course property. With that, um, all the other existing property was in the North area stagecoach I'm referring to, um, and then also in the South area was always intended to be high density residential zoning. And that's why the place saver of the future land use map was put over most of those properties to be existing zoning, which for the most part is all high density residential zoning. Uh, with the exception of this, this small piece, um, and frankly, I wasn't part of the research of that, um, but I don't think it was intended that it needed to stay um, general residential. Um, being that the history and looking back at the initial stagecoach community plan and what the actual um, plans were for stagecoach is that it was fully intended to be high density residential. Um, that was part of my conversation actually with the general manager over at um, the Metro district about density and taps being available. Um, and that went into a further conversation about that the reason why there is so much capacity is because Stagecoach wasn't developed to the capacity that the, um, that the facility was actually built for. 
And in fact, it's actually allowed an extended life for the pack plant as it initially was back in the 70s for that water and sand district um, to be able to handle much more density. Um, so that's just a little history of, um, of the zoning of that property. Um, but I didn't, wasn't able to find detail in the actual zone change and why um, from Planning Commission, the Board of County Commissioners, that was changed to GR in the past. Alan, were you able to find a date of when that action occurred? Uh, yeah, it was rezoned in 1998. 1998. Brian, Brian Kelly has his hand raised. Uh, Brian Kelly has his hand raised. Yeah, my comment was just the date on the plat for filing three, which is approved but not recorded, is 2008. So. This thing's been in various formats for what, 23 years now? But certainly okay, 13 years since the replay. Any other questions? I'm sorry. <clears throat> any other questions for either uh, the petitioners, representatives, or planning staff? Steve, I've got a question. Go ahead, Bill. For uh, Christy. Uh, when we were looking into the uh, the ski area coming in, there was another controversy that came up with uh, the water, the not the water, but the sewer plant. If I recall rightly, the sewer plant was pretty old, and they were worried about the longevity of it. Is there was there anything brought up? Yeah, um, so you're referring to the comment I was making about as we were updating that stagecoach community plan, we were, you know, one of the stakeholders obviously was the Metro District and there was a concern because that um, facility had um, been, it's still, it's well past being updated um, and improved. However, it's a known fact that it has been um, allowed to have an extended um, lifespan because they are not operating nearly at the capacity it was originally initially designed for, and that would be for high density development. So that's the conversation um, you recall, Bill. Um, and when we were updating the plan, they made those comments. I believe Andy has a comment. Andy. Question for staff. Um, would you characterize zoning change requests common in the subdivision process within Route County? Um, pretty much every subdivision that I have worked on has involved a zone change request. And commonly zone change requests are granted? Uh, the subdivisions that I've worked on have been approved. Well, that's my recollection as well. Thank you. Anyone else? Um, Andy, were you, um, were you on the board for Red Hawk? No, I actually was part of the team that was um, the applicant on that particular project. And, you know, just as I commented before, previously, 
it was interesting the pushback that Red Hawk got when it was being proposed. Um, and I generally feel that um, change is difficult sometimes to accept, but I view Red Hawk as a pretty highly successful little neighborhood down in there. Um, but no, I, I, I was not on the board. Nancy Stahoviak actually grilled me and put me to the test about open space and usable open space and the character of open space within Colorado. Um, she was really tough. Um, but as I recall, it, it received approval unanimously. Um, Young's Peak um, Preserve, um, Alan, if you can point that out, is what you all, I believe, saw most recently, which involved a zone change. Um, and then, um, for the record, Red Hawk also included a zone change to create the PUD. And that is a process open and available to the developers is the PUD process, correct? That is correct. And I know there's mixed feelings on PUDs. Um, I personally love the level of control that they actually and review they give us. I think they are a little bit more onerous on the developer, um, but in the end, um, the projects end up usually usually end up being pretty strong. Um, but no, I, you know, I, I remember Young's Peak um, and I believe we've done a couple other sub resubdivisions in this area in my time on the board, on the commission, I apologize. Sure. Um, Alan, I have a question if I may. I think I know the answer, but um, I know at the last hearing, <clears throat> because the developer was proposing quads, um, or for whatever you want to call them, quads, you had made a comment that a uh, an um, an HOA agreement would have to be developed for each for I think it's each unit, but maybe it's just for all four of the fours. On a duplex, does that same set of circumstances exist? I mean, there's going to be. Covenants required Covenants. for right. the for the entire subdivision. It would and it could be one set that would cover all lots. Okay. Okay. Um, if I may, I think that what Steve is actually referring to is the condominiumization of those lots due to the desire to sell the the units individually. Oh yeah, in order to be able to sell the units individually, the plat would have to reflect the that they are a separate, um, that those interests are divided. And there is a condition of approval that is suggested that require at the that requires them at the preliminary subdivision to to show that subdivision. Okay, that makes more sense. I got it. Thank you. And thank you, Sarah. For reading uh, your mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Greg, your hand is up again, please. Yeah, I have a question for Rebecca. Uh, I was a little confused uh, with the presentation. You mentioned uh, kind of two numbers for me, and I want to just make it uh, clarified. You said at the start of your pre presentation, and I, must, I might have uh, misheard you, that uh, there could be potential of 30 units that would be built on this. And then uh, kind of doing the math and doing the duplex and single lots, I'm kind of trying to 
wrap my head and I'm getting like around 20. So I just wanted to kind of clarify how many units can be built uh, total on this property with this proposal. Sure, so we have four duplex lots, so eight there plus the six residential lots. The original scope in April was for 22 units. So I'm not sure where the 30 came from, but that's what we're down to now is what is allowed for that um, zoning. Okay, I probably misheard you then. Thank you. No problem, thank you. Andy, your hand is up. Um, just as a quick question for staff, um, with the current zoning uh, use by right, minimum lot sizes applied, how many units could be on this if they so desired? Uh, so if they recorded the filing three plat, which subdivides lot nine into two lots, based on the size of the, the those lots and the existing lots in the GR zoning, they could have eight units. And regardless, uh, again, as a, as a use by right, they can build up on the knoll of this particular property. Yeah. And the units on the hillside would end up um, being um, at least from the neighborhood on the adjoining on the adjacent side of the street screened um, the lower units but would be more visible from the Red Hawk neighborhood uh, yeah so I mean these are you could have two on 9a and 9b and this is that lower road where the where the duplexes are um, are shown so one duplex right on this lot and then one duplex on this lot and then a duplex on this lot and a duplex on this lot. And what's the minimum uh, lot size? Uh, it's half an acre per dwelling unit. And how many acres total is this development? Uh, what is it, five, a little over five acres? Yeah, five and a half acres. You know, so the five, five point five divided by point five is actually eleven units. Well, so you're looking at the the total acreage. You have to actually look at the acreage of the individual lots. So, since this one is one point four acres, you need half an acre per unit. So you divide this by 0.5, you only get two. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, since that one hasn't been filed and moved upon, could the developer not come in and create a plan that shows the lots in their entirety subdivided into half acre lots? Uh, no, that would, that would require another subdivision approval because what's shown on the screen is what is approved currently. So Absolutely, but a developer could come in and ask for in a different configuration, subdividing that into half acre lots, uh, the, the project in its entirety. Yep, and keeping the existing zoning as it is, yeah, it would still go through the same 
sketch preliminary and final subdivision review. It just wouldn't involve the zone change. Yep. And, and in that instance, they could theoretically have 11 lots on the 5.5 acres. Correct. Plus or minus. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Linda, your hand is up. Um, I, this may be similar to what Andy was just asking, but as I understand it, um, we have, I just want to, to clarify from my mind, the lower four lots are the are being by this developer designated for the duplexes. So four um, duplexes and then uh, the upper lots are designated as the single family dwelling lots and that amounts to five more, is that correct? No, like, so there's so there's six single six. family lots up here yeah. and then four duplexes. Right, and the duplexes are obviously, um, as far as building footprint, a, a single building. Uh, correct. Even though the goal here, as I understand, I mean, what we were just, what was discussed earlier is the ability to, in effect, condominiumize them so that each side of the duplex could be sold separately. Correct. Okay. Thank you. Brian. Yeah, just uh, looking at the site plan and the Snokomo filing three, no matter what configuration you put this in, you're not quite going to yield 11 half acre lots because you've got road areas. Of course, then that one, they ran the lot line into the middle of the road and used that area to encompass, you know, part of the lot. But the land that's either in roadways or whatever reduces the usable area, you know, as far as what would be available to build on. Uh, and it requires approval of this commission and the county commissioners, of course. Uh, I think the question really before us, is this a reasonable alternative to what's currently approved? Unless I'm really missing something. No, I think you hit it right on the head. <laughs> um, I agree with Brian. I think that's a very precise, focused point of yeah. decision. Uh, so I, I, if there are no other questions at this point from the commissioners, what I'd like to do is um, open it up to public comment. However, I'd like to get my arms around um, how many individuals expect or would like to address the commissioners and keeping in mind, it would be specific to the revised plan that's in front of us. And I don't know, Sarah, maybe you can help me on this. Do you think there's a way that you can call names out and just solicit them to see if they wanna, if they're gonna be speaking or not so I can kind of get a number on it? Um, I, I can, but there's a whole lot of people on this call. I'm not sure that that's the most efficient way to do it. Maybe what you should do is ask anybody who does want to make a comment to raise their hand, and then I can call out those names instead. That works just fine for me. I wasn't sure if you could do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So before we open this to public comment, I'd like to solicit the public, if you wish to uh, address the commissioners, and again, Comments should be limited um, to this revised plan in front of us. Please raise your hand so that Sarah can uh, see who you are and we'll go from there. 
The first hand raised I see is Mike Farrell. Okay, and are, but any others? I don't see any others at this point. Yes, Zimmerman. Thomas Taggart's raised his hand. Jen Words. Okay, please use, if possible, please use the raise your hand function on Zoom. Where is that? It's at the bottom of the screen and typically it's under participants. Uh, on mine, it no, says- Actually, it comes reactions. under reactions. 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 Look for raise hand under reactions. Go to reactions, then you find raise hand. Yep, Mike's got it. Perfect. Got it. Jennifer's got it and John's got it. Mine comes up under the more category. <laughs> so that might be what you're there seeing you go. on your screen. Okay. So Steve, um, do you want me to just call out names <sighs> for you? Well, I was like, how many are there to begin with the total? A bunch. Yeah. Um... I see I five see so six. far. Oh, six. Five. Well, Brian Kelly's is up, but that's not, I mean, this is public comment, so <laughs> he should lower his hand. I would just request that the, um, you know, comments be limited to the time frame allowed. Yep. I agree with Mr. Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there are five, I guess, Sarah. Um, I'm sorry. What Christy, is the time frame? What I'd like to do is set a time limit of three minutes each, which is pretty typical. Um, and maybe Christy, you can just call them out one at a time. Sure. Um, Mike Farrell had his hand raised first and he's first on the list, so. Perfect. Mr. Farrell, go ahead. Okay, I'm trying to get my... Okay, can you see me or hear me? We can hear you. We can you hear for sure. you fine. Okay, uh, this is going to be tough in three minutes. I, I really, I've been kind of leading the charge for our neighbors out here, and we've collected over 110 signatures from neighbors that are opposed to this. We just we ran out of time to try to get to our SPOA board and get a mass email sent to try to get more public involvement. And that is the reason I tried to postpone the meeting because we really haven't had, when the initial information or the last information came out, I literally had two days to submit all that and get it feedback, get it back and make a plan. So Mr. Farrell, anyway, that's I'm, where that I'm trying to do from. you a favor. Um, we've already acted on that issue. So you probably want to move on. <laughs> Wow, this is a great process. Um, so in 98, the zoning was changed to general residential and the community plan was developed all through that period of time. So there's been plenty of time. They looked at that and it was intentional. They showed it was intentional by the wording that they wanted to keep the differing zonings to allow for variety. And I really feel like our community plan is an important document and we rely on it. You guys make these things, the county adopts them and we rely on them to keep control over our neighborhoods. And, and it, if you disregard it, it's only gonna make things more chaotic out here. I think as county planners, you're gonna have 
to fight this fight with every developer that comes down the line because you're not holding the ground that they initially intended. And by just saying it's an advisory document is kind of a sellout, I think, as far as what we are concerned with out here. We, we would like to see predictability in the future. And I don't know exactly, I think there's eight lots is plenty of, or eight units is plenty of density for a, a, a lot this size, and it allows for a profit. And I'm worried about the cluster of homes on the ridge. There would be literally two at the current approvals, and there would be six homes. This is a really highly visible knoll. And I think it would really have bad visual impacts for almost the entire lower stagecoach area. So I would ask that you consider that as well, that it's gonna, it's such a high visible property. And I, uh, I'm trying to edit my wording here. Um, the plan, planning uh, staff had a report last time that said there was uh, growth, potential growth areas in Route County this would provide land for housing, which is in short supply in some parts of Route County, but this is definitely not the case in Stagecoach. We literally have thousands of lots available. We have hundreds that have utilities and there's no need to further subdivide and upzone land into smaller and smaller pieces when we have all of this available land right now that can be utilized without chopping more land into smaller pieces. So, I don't think the developer has no hardship. He knew this zoning when he bought the land and he can still build enough units to make a profit, which that doesn't matter anyway. That's, that's not considered, but we've all made investments in stagecoach as well. And we wanna see our stagecoach community plan stay intact and relevant and utilized into the future instead of becoming a relic that gets thrown on the scrap heap. That's about all I can say. Thank you, Mr. Farrell. Um, Thank you for the time. Christy, next, please. Sorry, I was muted. Um, Jennifer Wirtz. So I have a few questions, and I'll just take some of my questions, and if someone can answer them, that would be appreciated. So Christy had mentioned that um, the water source has kind of been on a preserve um, and that has kind of allowed us to have an extended life. Um, so my question would be, if we allow developers such as Chris to come in and build developments like this, what does that mean for uh, the current residents of Stagecoach? Um, you know, they're like, uh, Mr. Farrell just stated there are so many lots of lands out here for sale. Um, a lot of them are not selling because, you know, there is no water or sewer that are run to those units. So uh, my question would be, if there is so much water available, uh, why are we not allowed to run water to those lots? If we could get water and sewer, those lots would sell in a heartbeat. Um, my other question is, or statement would be, we had a comparison to the Young's Peak Preserve 
and how you change the zoning on that, that to my knowledge, Young's Peak Preserve is being sought at, uh, sold as lots. It's not someone's coming in to develop that into duplexes or single family units. So I don't think we can compare apples to apples on that one. Um, my other question is, I know that Chris is a builder in Steamboat. So he, he stated that he went into this knowing um, that it wasn't done properly and that was his intention was to build the units out here. So if we allow him to do this, what's going to stop him from finding another piece of land and building more and more units? Um, I think I can speak for a lot of people that live out here. Um, that's why we chose to live out here. Um, and I, I don't necessarily agree with the traffic is not going to uh, be affected in any way, especially in the winter time. The amount of people that are off the sides of the road in and out of steamboat. I don't think if you're intending on putting that many units here that we're not gonna have that issue. Um, my other statement would be, is it really necessary to put a dog park? Um, isn't that why we have the stagecoach reservoir and all of this wilderness and all of this beauty that we need to put a dog park in? I think that's an unnecessary use of land and development. Um, so maybe if someone can just answer my question on the water steward and how is that going to affect our total bill and uh, utilities, I guess. Thank you. Um, thank you, Jennifer. Uh, Christy, some of those questions there may be answerable, but we'll wait till. Um, yeah, at the end, we so, can, okay. uh, Alan and I can address any comments that come up. Uh, next would be John Latterman. Mr. Latterman. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. But you can't see me. No. Okay. I don't know what's going on. I'll just um, just I'll just go into my comments then. Thank you. Uh, by way of very short background, I'm a land use planner and licensed landscape architect. I've been in practice for about forty years. I live in Steamboat Springs. Um, I have done both uh, public sector planning, including master plans, uh, private sector land development, as well as teaching at the University of Colorado at the graduate school and undergraduate school uh, for a number of years as well. So I just wanna hit on a, on a few points here that, that really jump out to me. Um, as you know, and you've mentioned it a couple of times, you guys understand your advisory and that the uh, county commissioners have the final say. Um, so, but you need guidance. You need to look to guidance for how you make your decisions. And there's several levels you can look at here. And the first one, the broadest level is the Route County Master Plan, in this case, the, in this case, the Stagecoach Community Plan, because it's an adopted sub-area plan. Um, so when there's extensive public involvement, as there was with the stagecoach community plan, it's important for you to make your decisions, including rezoning based on that document, because it reflects goals and the values of the 
community of stagecoach. In other words, you need to really use that plan as your compass. And uh, the purpose of the plan is to provide clear direction to decision makers. And um, there is a lot of community involvement. So that plan reflects what the community wants to be. And in this case, the plan is very clear and the authors did a good job. This specific parcel has been identified as existing residential and it goes on to define that as um, the purpose of this zone district is to permit no change over existing zoning. That's what's written in the approved plan and provides very clear direction. Um, it even goes beyond that and identifies why. It says the underlying zoning for these areas provide for a variety of housing types and densities. So that's, that's your first level for guidance. And oftentimes, because I've written a number of comp plans and um, it's not always clear the exact intent of the plan, but that's not the case here. The plan clearly states how this parcel should be treated by the by your body, the planning commission, and also county commissioners. And it should be maintained in its current zoning and not rezoned. That's what the residents wanted. That's what's reflected in the plan. And then the next level of guidance uh, is zoning. And in 8.2.1, the criteria for providing or denying rezoning, um, it needs to be consistent with the goals and policies of the master plan and any applicable sub-area plans. This proposed rezoning simply fails that test. Um, it's, it's really clear. There's also additional rezoning criteria, 8.2.1c. The advantages uh, requested need to substantially outweigh the disadvantages. Um, and that the applicants failed to to meet that test as well. In fact, Alan um, just spoke to currently 250 lots being available. So given the amount of lots um, currently available, there are no advantages to rezoning this property to higher density. Uh, there's also substantial opposition to this rezoning from neighbors and different homeowners associations within the stagecoach area. And you really need to, to listen to that and take that very seriously. So just to close, uh, citizens need to really have confidence in their plans and they need to have confidence that you as decision makers will follow the approved plans and support the will of the people, especially with the extent of public involvement that was incorporated into this plan. The plan must be denied. It, it goes against specific elements of the stagecoach community plan. You know, and, you know, it was developed based on the goals and values of the residents and it's your role to follow the plan as approved and deny this rezoning. So thank you very much for your consideration. Thank you. Um, Christy, next. Uh, next on the list is Molly, and I don't want to butcher your last name. Thank you. Um, so I have one question and one comment. Uh, my question is that there have been several statements about this being a solution for a shortage of housing in the area, um, which I think all of us understand. Um, we've heard everything from affordable to attainable to reasonable. Um, I don't, I haven't heard any numbers of 
what those price levels are. And I'd just like to understand if these are in fact in line to serve that need. Um, that's my question. My comment is um, around at the beginning of this conversation, um, I heard a couple of people volunteer to recuse themselves from this decision. Um, and based on the, the not so subtle undertones that I heard from Andy's line of questioning earlier, I would like to ask this uh, planning committee to consider recusing him. Is that all you had, Molly? That's it, thank you. Thank you. Um, next, we have James Zimmerman. Can you hear me? Uh, we can. Yes. Um, basically, I have to chime in and say that what you're being asked to do is ba basically ignore uh, the stagecoach community plan. Uh, the plan is very specific. It talks about uh, all of the reasons for the adoption of that plan. And if any one of you commissioners haven't actually physically been here and stood at Red Hawk and look at that ridge, then you have absolutely no business voting on this because you have no concept of what it's like for us in, Ridge, in Red Hawk to sit here and look at something stuck on the top of that ridge. And I've heard that there's gonna to have to be a retaining wall and stuff built uh, to support that ridge, uh, which is gonna make it really ugly uh, for the people that live in Red Hawk. And it's certainly not gonna make those houses affordable. Uh, they're talking about, let's build affordable housing. Well, let's look at Red Hawk. When Red Hawk was built, it was built or designed to be affordable housing. Well, the house that I live in uh, back in 2007 was sold for $550,000. The house two doors down, which was the model home was about 589. That's not affordable housing even today. Uh, I have no idea. I've not heard uh, what the developer here says that the so-called affordable, reasonable, attainable are actually going to, to cost. But I do know that sitting in my house on my patio, uh, looking at that ridge and seeing duplexes sitting clear up on top of it and looking down on them, particularly those that live uh, towards the east end of the Red Hawk community, uh, those houses are going to basically be sitting in their backyard uh, looking down on them. Um, you know, Red Hawk, people live out here in part because of some of the open spaces. Red Hawk doesn't impinge upon anybody's view. Absolutely no one. The people in Young's Peak and Wagon Wheel, they don't impede on anybody's view uh, of anything. And if you look at Willow Island, they don't impede upon people's view. If you look at the area above them, they don't impede upon anybody's view. But this sitting on the top of that ridge is going to seriously impede upon the view and the open space uh, that is currently available to those who to live in this area, whether you're in Willow Island or whether you're in Young's Peak or whether you're in Red Hawk. Plus, when you come out of that 
cul-de-sac and turn on to the county road, you're going to be shining your lights right in the houses that are on the other side of the road. And the same thing is going to be true when you come along the road that is on the, I guess it would be the west, uh, northwest end, uh, you're going to have the same situation. And it's really going to affect uh, the area out here uh, by allowing this. And, and, and if the commissioners want to be consistent and don't want to just flat out ignore the stagecoach community plan, then this thing has to be defeated, particularly the duplexes that are gonna be sitting right on top of that ridge. And I haven't heard anybody talking about uh, what if they're going to be needing to build a retaining wall, but I don't know how they're going to sit on that ridge otherwise. Uh, but if that's the case, there is no way this is going to be affordable housing. Uh, somebody said something earlier, and they're talking about Red Hawk duplexes. There's no Red Hawk duplexes. These are all single family homes varying from 1,200 and some square feet to 1,900 and some square feet. Uh, so uh, if you want to go ahead and just ignore uh, the stagecoach community plan, I guess you vote for it. If you want to be consistent and fair and responsible to the people who live in stagecoach and view the effort that went into the stagecoach community plan, then you vote to defeat it. Otherwise, you just ignore it. That's all I have to Thank say. Thank you, Mr. Zimmerman. Appreciate it. Um, next, yep. Next, we have John DeNicholas. Hello, um, I'm John DeNicholas, and I actually am on the SPOA Board of Directors, but to be honest with you, I'm here representing myself as a resident of Stagecoach. Um, the first thing I, I have to say is I took part in writing and working on the community plan. There was a lot of effort put into it. The only discussion regarding a change in zoning that was talked about and discussed was for commercial property development only. Uh, the reality is the last thing we need out here is more density. Um, we have too much density already. The first thing, I, the last thing actually I'll, I'll, I'll mention is according to this, the location is 0.5 miles east of the intersection of County Road 16 and 212. Um, if you could just go to the Route County Road and Bridge Department and please um, ask them how many times they repaired that 0.5 miles because of traffic already. Um, so to say there isn't gonna be additional um, usage, um, this as planned right now, um, we're talking 42 extra cars potentially. So that's all, there is an impact on the road. Um, we're not even talking about County Road 14. Thanks. Um, I believe that's all I see at the moment. Um, if there is anybody else that was unable to raise their hand, um, just please speak up um, so we can get your comment. Uh, Thomas Taggart, uh, I did raise my hand. Uh, 
my wife and I live in the neighborhood of Young's Peak. I want to thank the, uh, all of you who are serving on the, the board for your service. But as uh, Mr. Zimmerman and Landerman said, you know, we have a plan. Uh, we live in the neighborhood of Young's Peak. And, um, you know, the plan is clear. Um, if there's, there's no coincidence, I'm sure that Mr. Farrell would have gotten and could have gotten a lot more than 110 people, uh, 110 signatures uh, that are against this change. And um, I just urge you to, um, you know, follow the people who are live here. This, this is what, you know, we, we think eight lots is sufficient. And, um, you know, the gentlemen before me were very eloquent in, term, in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, our community plan. And we ask that you, you know, follow that plan. And you, we ask that you, you know, deny this change and allow the developer to do as, as the zoning originally allows them, you know, eight units. Thank you very much. I believe that um, is all I see, Steve. Okay. Um, I wasn't able to raise my hand. <clears throat> May I speak? This is Betsy Blakesley. Uh, sure. sure. Thanks. Absolutely. Um, thank you. I, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm looking out at that ridge right out my window. And um, my husband and I bought this house two years ago. And one of the reasons we did was because uh, Red Hawk Village is settled and nestled between two ridges that are open space. And um, I, if I saw in a plan that duplexes would be allowed on that ridge, I don't think I would have bought this house. It's too much. And as a lot of people have said, um, and Jim said it, it you have to be here in this place to really understand what an imposition and an eyesore that would be. Um, and I also just wanna add kind of a ditto to the people that have talked about um, our community plan and how we always want people to engage in and participate in coming up with a plan. And then it's, it's really a slap in the face when, uh, when it's, their efforts are denied and, and um, you know, and defied. So I would encourage you to stick with um, what are the people of this community have decided they want to live in. And, um, and uh, I appreciate you giving me the time to say that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Christy, is that it? Or as far as you can tell? Uh, that is all I see at the moment. Um, let's see. Let's just make yep, sure. That's all I see as well. Okay. okay. Then I'm closing the public portion or the public comment portion of this process. Um, thank you very much again to the public for being here and voicing your concerns and comments. Um, I am going to get my screen back first off. So Steve, I do have uh, some comments that I would like in to, to yeah. make and answer some questions. And that's, no, and that's good. I was just trying to get my uh, screen back in order here, but go ahead. Thank you. Okay. Go ahead. So there was a comment made that there are thousands of lots available in Stagecoach. 
although that is true, a small fraction of those are actually buildable because uh, a large majority of them, most in the South area, do not have roads, water, sewer, electricity, or, or things like that. So, uh, so the fact that there are thousands of lots available in Stagecoach doesn't mean that they are actually developable lots. Um, what would these lots, these additional lots do to the water and sewer system? And so to clarify, we were referring to the wastewater treatment plant. That's the sewer plant that, that treats the, the wastewater. Um, it, was, it was built in the 70s and it, would, and it has been operating since then at a reduced capacity. Um, and because it has, and most of the time at less of the half of the design capacity and because it has been um, and it has gone beyond its useful or its designed life um, because it has been uh, running at a reduced capacity. What that, what that correlates to is that the, that the Morrison Creek Water and Sanitation District has not had to put forth the funds to replace the replace that system, but that that is on the horizon due to the fact that it is is 50 years old. So when they do replace that system, that is going to the cost of that is going to be borne by the residents and the landowners in the Morrison Creek Water and Sanitation District. So by having more lots that will spread that cost around to uh, more landowners and more people to help absorb the cost. Uh, the reason that there are no water and sewer pipes in the Southern area is because the original developer went bankrupt. There is nothing saying that an individual cannot extend that system. If an individual wanted to come in and extend the water and sewer pipes to any of the subdivisions that don't currently have it, I think that would be a welcome action that the county would welcome, that Morrison Creek, Santa, the district would welcome as well as the county. Uh, but that cost is prohibitively expensive for a single landowner or developer to extend. And so that's why that infrastructure is not there. Um, these types of applications are looked at on their own merit. Uh, the, I, there must have been some confusion, but staff was not comparing this application to the Young Peak, Young's Peak Preserve up on the hill above it uh, because yes, those are con two completely different types of developments. What we were referring to is the fact that the zone changed for that subdivision and is the same request that is being made here today. Um, and so Commissioner uh, Kelly addressed it good. Um, we're looking at or the planning commission is looking at this application as whether it's a reasonable application on this site. Uh, if by chance he gets approved and follows through with the development, 
and wants to do this on another site in Stagecoach or anywhere else in the county, he's going to have to go through this same process and that same question, is this a reasonable use or a reasonable development on this site is going to have to be answered for that specific application. It, whether this gets approved or not should have no bearing on whether any future applications that are brought to the county will uh, be approved or not. Um, so I don't know where the mention of a retaining wall came, but the, the plan is up on the screen and there are no retaining walls shown on this site plan. Um, there may be a retaining wall required for the construction of a house, but that is outside of this subdivision review. Uh, and a traffic study was not uh, submitted because uh, public works, because that will be required at the next stage. This review is a 30,000 foot review. We're looking at, does this comply with the master plan? Does it comply with the stagecoach community plan? And are there any glaring issues with it? At the next stage, that's when the, the traffic study will be submitted and reviewed by Public Works. That's when all of the engineered plans will be submitted to um, Public Works, the fire department for the roads and the access. Uh, water and sewer plans will be submitted to the district for uh, review, excuse me, against their standards. Um, and just be, if this application were approved, that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that it will get approved at, at the next stage. If at the next stage, the traffic report, report comes back and there are significant impacts to the public road system that can't be mitigated, that is absolutely a reason to deny it at that. We're at that stage. We're not at that stage yet. We're looking at it from a high level perspective to see if it is in compliance with the, with the adopted sub area plan and the master plan. Um, I think I addressed everything that I had notes on. Uh, I th God. think you did as well based on my notes. Oh, one other um, but I think it's self-evident, um, again, to your point about the next stage, at some point in time, my expectations are pricing will likely surface, but again, at this juncture and at this stage of the process, that's not, uh, that's not what we do here. If I have that correctly? Correct. Christy, was I'll anything like that... Um, no, I think Alan covered everything I had on my notes. Um, and then I see Roberta has her hand raised. Perfect. Because I have, think I've lost. No, I'll find it. <laughs> Roberta, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I just have a question for either Christy or Alan. Um, I looked at the general residential zoning category 
Um, I can't recall if it, I was reading it in the county subdivision regulations or it was defined term in the stagecoach community plan. But if I read it properly, it said that in the general residential zone, which is what this property is currently zoned for, it does allow for both detached units and duplexes. Did I misinterpret that? Uh, no, it, it, that zone district does allow for detached single family residences and duplexes. So whether or not this property is zoned, you know, a zone change is approved it wouldn't change the type of uses that are permitted on the site. It would not. I think that's important for the community to know, um, regardless of how this uh, works out at this stage of the planning process. I see James has, it, uh, has his hand raised as well. Thank in, you, Roberta. A lot of that question was just raised by Roberta. Then, then the zoning change is really just increasing the density. It's moving from eight to 14 because the uses that she's now identified are otherwise permitted. It's just there, there are a few more of them. Is that right? Correct. Thanks, Alan. Bill? Unmuted. Uh, if I remember rightly, the original stagecoach um, plan uh, was set around an occupancy level of about four or 500 people. And we were putting into that, that at the point the stagecoach grew to a level of a thousand people with maybe five people to a home, we were gonna revisit, which we have, and look at how to work with the people in stagecoach with uh, the infrastructure, the roads, the bridges, the dam, the water, and everything else. So we've really worked hard to uh, be in place and help with everything that goes in out there. The fire station is new, uh, the electricity that goes in out there, uh, reaching out into the upper levels of uh, the lots that have sold. And I think that the amount of people that have raised their voices tonight in opposition to what we have put our work into, I think that it is time, just like we said, for the town of Milner. If you disagree with what we look at, and several people, the lawyers, the uh, master plan workers, I think it's time for Stagecoach to look at uh, probably incorporating into uh, what Roberta called it, a community or a township take care of your own roads, take care of your own infrastructure. Uh, at that point, uh, I, I'd be willing to listen to uh, what they had. Uh, the town of Oak Creek has done it. Yampa has done it. Hayden has done it. Steamboat can do it. Uh, if you look to their guidance or you look to ours as a county entity, I think that uh, we have done a pretty good job looking at the master plan for stagecoach. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Bill. Peter, your hand is up. Yeah, Alan, I'm confused uh, by your answer to Roberta's question. So um, is, is the developer owner asking for a rezoning as, as part of this or is a rezoning not required? 
Um, so, yes, a rezone is requested. Um, I think Roberta was just pointing out the fact that under the current approvals, he could build duplexes in the location that he is proposing to build them under this under this review. Um, and she was just pointing out that duplexes are allowed in the general residential zone district, as well as the medium density residential zone district. So why is he asking for rezoning? To get additional density. Density. Right. It's, to cha it's changing the lot size. Because under the, the medium density, you can have a smaller lot size, but still put a duplex on it. That makes sense, Peter? It's their prerogative. As almost every developer we've seen come before us on subdivisions, just as Christy and Alan both alluded to, oftentimes developers change, ask for a change in zoning. Peter, do you have your answer? So, so if we were to deny a change in zoning, he could go ahead with the current plan? No. No, he oh, could. Because you can't he have could, that density. He could move forward with this layout right here. Okay. This, this is what is vested. It hasn't, this plat has not been approved, but he, the, the landowner is vested in this approval. So if he goes and records this plat, he could put a duplex on lot 9A, a duplex on lot 9B, a duplex on lot two, and a duplex on lot one. Okay. As a use by right. As a use by right. Correct. So that counts, so I'll have counted to 10 units. Right, five duplexes. Oh, four, because there's one, two. Oh, four. Three. Okay, four. So that's the eight. Okay, thank you. Yep. Uh, Brian has his hand raised. Uh, just a point of fact: there's actually very few county roads in Stagecoach. There are a lot of publicly created roads, which are now maintained by SPOA, is my understanding. Water and sewer is a separate deal. Morrison Creek Water and Sand, but you've got County Road 16, Links Pass. You got another one that goes up towards the old ski area, I believe, that's county maintained for a while. And then you've got County Road 14 going by Stagecoach State Park and servicing some of those 35 acre tracks on the to the west of it. So, but most of the roads you travel back in there are actually privately maintained by SPOA. So it does not maintain any roads. This is John DeNicholas. Thank you. So who maintains those roads then? Because the county doesn't. Correct. The residents do. That's what I mean. Well, sorry, then you have some agreement. Maybe I'm not aware of it, but you have some agreement within yourselves as to how those roads are maintained. Each we subdivision. Have we each have subdivision. Well, each subdivision is totally different because there are three subdivisions that are county maintained. There are other subdivisions that take care of it for themselves. That, that is true to clarify. The county does have minimal maintenance in South Shore, Morningside, 
and horseback um, where there is some minimal maintenance um, for the county to maintain. All the other subdivisions outside of the county roads of 16 and county road 212 and 14, which are obviously, um, those are maintained by the county. Uh, the subdivisions and South Station, all of those, um, Sky Hitch, uh, Black Horse, all of those are maintained by the individuals who live there. <coughs> Thank you, Christy. Other questions? I don't see it. Oh, uh, nope, Andy. no hands raised. Andy and Greg both. Andy, go ahead. Um, for Christy and Alan, uh, the future land use map that's included in the SPOA plan, that future land use ma map is binding in no way, shape, or form to a landowner as to how they decide to develop their land, correct? Um, I mean, just through this process, through the through the zone change and review process, it is binding, but. Um, well, Mike, you know, like, so take the area that's been overlaid as outdoor recreation development down where the marina golf course kind of area was being talked about. A developer has no, um, they don't have to use that designation by any stretch of the imagination. It's a it's purely a suggestion and a recommendation, correct? Or, or, or a desire that's been reflected by the community, but individual landowners can choose how they and you know when using our land use codes um, and zoning regulations, that's how they put their plans forth. But the future land use map is a non-binding map. It doesn't um, hold the landowner to that type of development in that area. No, um, it only comes before you all if there is a change of use and there is an application before you through a use permit um, or a subdivision for a recommendation of how that property should be developed. Mm -hmm. How it should be, but it's a recommendation. It does not bind the landowner That's correct. to do that. Um, so any, land, any landowner is free to put forth any type of plan and see if it, if it passes the mustard, so to speak. Um, um, and I would say that this map is as binding as any other policy that this plan contains. Um, again, this is an advisory document. It makes recommendations that the planning commission and the board uses as a guide to make those decisions. And I'll just reiterate my comments. Um, Noncompliance with one part of the plan is, could be a reason to deny it, but noncompliance with one aspect of the plan is, doesn't require the application to be denied. You can, there's, numerous other policies that are in this plan that should be taken into consideration when determining overall compliance with the plan. And so it's, I mean, these plans can be interpreted different ways by different people. And 
again, that's why there are no shalls or must or required. It's all recommendations and guidance and advisory. So that gives the decision makers uh, the flexibility to interpret the plan how they see best fits fits that area. So to a short, the short answer is it's as binding as any other policy that is contained in this plan. And I don't, I'm trying to think back on when we adopted the stagecoach sub area plan. I'm failing to remember this vast outpouring of community support for it. If I remember correctly, I don't know that one person even attended the meeting and spoke in support of it or any of the elements contained within it. Um, I specifically don't remember any mention about these individual lots and the importance of them remaining as the zoning that they are. You know, for instance, what comes to my mind is if somebody bought Stahl's property to the north and came in and said they wanted to change that entire thing to um, 35 acre lots and change it back to agricultural zoning, would we not consider that and change the zoning and achieve less density in that area? Because, you know, again, when we talk density, that larger parcel to the north is a much bigger um, impact on development and is going to have a huge change on the stagecoach area when and if that ever goes through. But I just don't remember any conversation about the importance of maintaining the, these particular lots, you know, zoned as they were. They, the zoning original intent until it was changed by another developer, developer who had a different idea was high density residential, correct? Um, uh, yes and no. Um, so I, I think if I understand your question, um, I think to clarify, I think there was a lot of community support for the development of the plan. Um, the future land use map came towards the end of the adoption, as I mentioned before, where there weren't, um, there wasn't much comment from the community regarding designation um, or for or against what was being proposed, except for the focus really was the recreation-oriented development designation for the stall property to the north, which you just referred to, and the ski area, which there was acknowledgement um, for high-density development and a mixed-use development to be designated in one of those properties with specific standards that are outlined in the plan that if you have access to a county road, if you can get water and sewer hookup, um, essentially, and, and ample parking, that it was something that the plan recommended support for those developments. Um, to clarify, there was no focus on this particular development through the adoption of that plan. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it's, it's, it's good information. Um, I, you know, I did just some quick math. You, you mentioned earlier there was, in the last four years, approximately 30 
home sites have been developed out of 260 that are currently serviced by water and sewer. Mm -hmm. That's approximately 11% of the available truly developable lots, which, which I would consider like sh almost shovel ready. Only 11% of them have been developed in four years. Um, in unincorporated route county, we've seen like a 40% increase in growth, population growth, right? Mm -hmm. Something crazy. Um, and again, most of that has been focused around, you know, homes in excess of $700,000 on large lots. Mm -hmm. Is my basic feeling on that. Um, I think that kind of goes through some of my questions about the, the comments. You know, and again, there was a, a, a comment made by someone about me recusing myself. And, and at any time, you guys know, you can ask me to do so. Um, I believe that um, my number of years on this commission, I've proved my willingness to um, vote no when it's correct. Um, and I've always uh, been professional in separating those things. And I think that's important to note is that these decisions, um, John Lanterman actually his, his arguments were the most succinct about the reasoning behind how us commissioners have to look at this. Um, we are to separate our personal feelings on this, what we think of this particular development and look at it through the lens of our Route County Master Plan, the Stagecoach Subarea Plan, and our zoning regulations. And that is really the duty of every commissioner here. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Greg? Thank you. Um, Andy, I am comfortable with you being on here. Uh, I think you do have some valuable input with all that, and it does seem unbiased. Um, I do want uh, Alan to kind of, I think he put in some great work, and we haven't talked about it, um, the Morrison Creek Metropolitan uh, District map. Uh, that he presented in this one that we didn't see in our prior packet. I think this is a good kind of map to just kind of show where and what has uh, potential to, you know, basically have water, have all the things that really need for a high density area and what has been utilized over there. Uh, I just wanted to have Alan kind of talk about it a little bit more, um, just so that I and everybody else is on the same page of what this map really represents. Um, okay, so yeah, this is these the the lots that are in orange are the lots that are currently vacant that are able to be served by. Uh, the central water and wastewater system. Um, so you can see down in these, the south area, uh, none of these lots are, are serviced because those lines have, have not been extended to those areas. So in order to develop any of these lots that are, are not highlighted, that would either require a vault, which gets pumped periodically and dumped at the wastewater plant, or they are consolidated into five acre parcels and rezoned to mountain residential estate, which then allows them to have uh, a well and septic on the same parcel. Uh, 
Thank you. And I would like to kind of look at to um, most of this area to the north, then that is all high density and platted pretty much high density uh, areas all, all across there and kind of vacant. And so that that's kind of my big sticking point. Uh, and I wanted to just kind of bring that map to everybody's attention. Um, I see Brian and Andy have their hands raised. I don't know if Andy's from before though. Yeah, just real quick on Alan's comment about the vault permits. Um, I could have swore in the past discussion or hearing discussion about limitations on vault permits that were being issued. I didn't. I, I don't know if that is still something that's going on and exactly, I can't exactly remember the background information on that, but I do remember at some time discussing the fact that there's some type of limitation on vault permits, if I'm correct, or please correct me if I'm not right. Uh, yeah, you are correct on that. And so this is a vault accounting report that is in the stagecoach plan. It, it is a couple, five years old. But this lists the like the total number of lots that are in each individual subdivision and then how many vaults are allowed in that subdivision and then how many vault permits have been issued and how many remain. And the way that th this number was come up with was that the total acreage of the subdivision was you take the total acreage and you divide by five. And so that is based on the county's requirement that you must have five acres in order to have a well and septic on the same piece of property. So in for the overland case, there's 196 acres. You divide that by five, which gives you a total of 39 vaults that are allowed in the overland subdivision. Only one has been issued so that leaves 38 that are still available out there. So the number of vaults that are allowed are, is based on the, the acreage divided by five. Alan, how many uh, are left in Morningside? Um, Note this, this map, this information he just pulled, John, is from the Stagecoach Community Plan. So this information, if you can see the top is dated from 2016. So these are a bit skewed, but to point out, I, I, I understand where you're getting at. Um, Morningside is the closest and still remains the closest to being maxed out on issued vault permits. So even in 2016, there were only nine vault permits that could be issued left back in 2016. I don't have updated numbers. Alan just pulled this from the Stagecoach Community Plan. Ryan, your hand is up. Yeah, could you free up the, uh, or Alan, free up that Morrison Creek map again of the uh, water and sewer availability? And, and can you window into the Northern area where you know we're talking about there? There we go. So. And I didn't see the graph, but the dark shaded, are, are those the ones that are eligible or are those the ones currently served? The, the orange ones, so like Snokomo right here, uh, they are vacant 
and able to be served. And then the ones that are uh, like a lighter tannish color are? Are either developed or not able to be served. And we don't have those differentiated. Okay, I would gotcha. Yeah, because obviously that's a little deceptive that meadow green, this area, uh, you know, to the west, uh, that's all eligible. And yeah, there you go. He's circling it right there. Uh, and then the other phase of meadow green further south, uh, all, all have, if they're not developed, they all have water and sewer to them. That, that is correct. So all of the north area, including Eagle's Watch, um, Alan, if you can hover over Eagle's Watch, um, south more, keep going south right there. All of everything on the screen right here um, actually is served by water and sewer. Um, the only areas that are not on that map is up no uh, the northeast, which is South Shore. And um, up there um, where it's grayed out, there is no water or sewer for like a very small portion. I believe that is next to the um, water and sand uh, plant. Uh, there is one small line, maybe it services about four properties. Uh, there you go, this is a better map. So what Alan just pulled up right here is the north area of Stagecoach and the dark blue and the light blue indicate the pipes that are in the ground to service the north area of Stagecoach. And this map extends a little bit into Eagle's Watch subdivision, which is between 212 and County Road 16 with Lynx Basin Estates um, right there. Thank you. And um, so basically this whole area of North Stagecoach um, is where they initially put in the pipes when Stagecoach was initially developed in the early 1970s with the intent of this to be a high density development. Um, unfortunately, those pipes, as we all know, did not fully extend to the south area of Stagecoach before the developer um, went bankrupt and those services were not put in. They do go as far as Black Horse too. They do. They do. That they is do. correct. Alan, on your next map, if you could just click on that. So as I said before, Black Horse 2 and yep, thank you. Morningside has a little bit of um, extension right in that front area, Alan, right there. Um, but Blackworks 2 is really what's notable in the south area, which does have water and sewer, um, which is the dark tan, and you see the light blue and the dark blue with the pipes in Blackworks 2. Um, and then there have been some, some pipes that have been extended in horseback, as you can see, but this map also is showing the road maintenance levels. Um, so there is a color on this screen that looks like it's blue and horseback, but those are actually to show that there's minimal maintenance from the county in horseback, um, Morningside, thank you. And, um, and then in Black Horse has the pipes, but um, earlier I had just mentioned we were talking about road maintenance. So this map also shows the road maintenance of those areas in the south area of uh, Stagecoach. 
Andy? One more question I had from staff uh, based on um, comments by the public was, I'm looking for it on my, my notes. Um, there's a lot of, there was a lot of discussion about the development that would occur on top of the ridge line um, as a use by right, the developer could build single family homes or duplexes up on that, up on, up, up on top of the ridge. Correct. And, uh, yes. Under the vested plan, right? It Correct. Could. Um, but also on the current plan that's being recommended, the duplexes are actually, just by the way I look at it, would probably not be built up on the ridge line, but would actually be located closer to the access road that comes in on the bottom of the site. There was a lot of, um, there was a couple different comments where there was a lot of concern about, you know, the, the development that occur, could occur up on top of that knoll. Um, as a use by right, the developer can put home sites single family or duplexes up on top of the knoll. Correct. You know, I think, I think the, the, the previous plan that was shown, you know, uh, sparked a lot of um, discontent and it's understandable. Um, we need to recognize that the adjacent landowners feel the way that they do and, and acknowledge that their feelings are valid. Um, I, I kind of myself personally like how this kind of bridges the gap between the more dense residential development of um, uh, the neighborhood to the, to the south and west. I'm already drawing a blank. Where, Red Hawk. Uh, yeah, Red Hawk. You know, those lower duplex lots, which I think would more than likely end up being built down by the roadway versus up high. That's just kind of how I look at it. So those would actually be nestled in below the ridge line. And then the, the development of single family homes up on the ridge line directly, you know, contextually relates to the homes that are across the way. The question that's before us, you know, is this a reasonable blend between the higher residential zoning that they were originally seeking and the, the lower residential zoning that it currently stands? Um, I, I think this is a nice uh, compromise between the two and gives, it gives a little and it takes a little, and I always like to say that a good deal is only a good deal when it's good for both parties, you know? And so I think there's some give and take here. Um, in general, similar to the previous plan, from a conceptual standpoint, without vesting any future approvals, I think this is a, a reasonable solution while acknowledging that it does not meet this one particular aspect of the steamboat or the stagecoach community area plan. I will fully and openly acknowledge that that 
that uh, recommendation of not changing zoning, <clears throat> I don't know how the specific of that really relates into the discussion because within the Route County Master Plan, changes of zoning are allowed and uh, as we've discussed, are happen all of the time. Thank you. So Andy, you've just done a wonderful job of kicking off the round table. Um, and I, I'm, I'm guessing you would support taking this process, the petition to the next step. And I think to your earlier point, um, I have some questions and some issues, not issues so much, but concerns that I think unfortunately will not get revealed until the next step. And so I'm anxious to move forward on it. But having said that, that's me. Brian, what are your thoughts as we stand here? Uh, this reminds me of the years when I was on the city planning commission where we had an expression that you get on planning commission, you lose half your friends and you get on city council and you lose the other half. So that's, <laughs> that's what this reminds me of. Uh, I think it's important and I'm hearkening back to days, not just on earlier planning commissions, but also all the school activities to recognize the volunteers. There's nothing ever more important in any kind of community plan than volunteers. If you can't get people out to meetings to voice their opinion about what they want to see in a master plan or community plan, you simply don't get very valid community input. And uh, that makes your plan worth less. Uh, should also note too, and I understand the gentleman, John Landerman, I think his name was, that's a professional planner. Uh, but I, I, and with all due respect, uh, planners can almost be like attorneys and have differing opinions on the same document. And, and that's what we have here. Uh, because I clearly see, like Andy alluded to, what that statement says, it gets referred to numerous times in Landerman's letter. I, I clearly get it. And yet planning almost is a give and take. And Andy's comments about that ridge uh, and the ridge top, I agree with that if you look at the lower full four duplex lots, they're 20 or 30 vertical feet short of the top. Uh, and so you have six lots that you might say single family lots, not duplex lots, that are would now be on top of the ridge as opposed to four or at least three that could have duplexes. So I don't know if you're really increasing the density on top of that ridge top because these are single family and the duplexes are down below on the face. Um, zoning changes are not guaranteed either way. I, I've heard Andy refer to that uh, and I, I didn't put myself in the category of professional planner even though uh, I've got a degree in geography and a degree in survey and I've been doing this all my life which maybe just started but uh, zoning changes aren't guaranteed either way in any zoning district in a, or any community, any county, anywhere in the state of Colorado. And I've probably been involved with 15 or 20 of them statewide, planning commissions or planning departments I'm talking about. So it, it goes both ways. It, it's not a yes, it's not a no. It's let's look at what you're showing us and decide if this has validity on the heights of it. As concerned as I am about the neighborhood opposition, which I think you could safely say is unanimous, I haven't heard one neighbor speak in favor of this unless I've missed something. Uh, I think we could say the neighborhood 
is content to let it go with the six properties or the, the eight units that are currently allowed there, used by right. So the thing that strikes me with the Ridgetop talk and the 40-foot height mentioned by Rebecca earlier in her presentation is when we get to the next stage, if we do, and we're not there yet, that if they want this increased uh, density, I would like to see the heights come down a little bit. I don't know if you need 40 feet. You know, maybe we look at lowering the heights to lower the visual impact. I'm just putting that thought out there. It's too early to get into that kind of detail, but that would be something that would offset is lowering the building heights. 40 feet is, is pretty high. Um, the water and sewer capacity is really pretty simple. The more you do earlier, the less you have available later. So if you put, instead of eight units, you have 14 units, that means without increasing the capacity of the sewer plant, you, you know, you're obviously lowering your future uh, potential for intake, so to speak. And those are my comments. I am, what does impress me, and I was obviously a pretty vocal opponent last time, uh, and, and the densities come down. I'm also impressed about the outlot. If you look above the duplex lots, the very steepest part of the terrain is now like part of an outlot parcel. I like that. That means your retaining walls, that was commented on, your retaining walls go down in size because of that. Uh, and so is this an acceptable compromise? It's a lot closer. I like the footpaths. Um, just generally, I like the layout, but uh, better than last time. No question about that. Main concern is, is it is a community and what do you do about the people that volunteered their time and that statement ended up in there somehow and and it's not the only statement i get that that the zoning statement zoning change statement is not the only statement in the st stagecoach community plan but it's a pretty relevant one so those are my comments at this point i'm i'm sitting on the fence on this one but i so there there i am Greg. Thoughts, comments. How do you feel about the project revised revisions? Hey, Vogel, it's Jim. Oh, okay, Jim, go ahead. Sure, I share a lot of the sentiments that were expressed by Brian. Uh, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> on the one hand, it, it does comply, as staff pointed out, with the Stagecoach Community Plan, and it complies with the, with the master plan. But the Stagecoach Community Plan Compliance is easy because that's really considered to be advisory and to serve as a guide. It doesn't have the rigidity of a formally adopted plan. Um, but that said, it's a plan. And I've got sympathy with the neighborhood who said and says that there is a plan on the table and it's been there for some time and it calls for certain uses. And whether it's um, lacks administrative action on the part of the government or the uh, the public uh, the plan has never been adopted with a uh, with a more established form of certainty and and uh, compliance uh, but it's nonetheless a plan and it's been there for a while and I do feel that people have a uh, a sense of um, a sense of being able to rely on that plan so that uh, that that speaks to to uh, again, kind of like Brian, a little bit on, on the fence. It's a it's a guiding it's a guiding document, but at the same time, it's documented there. 
and people ought to have some ability to have some reliance for that. Um, I, I took some issue with any, anybody challenging an affordability question. I don't think we decide our issues on economics, but I don't think we're even allowed to. And affordable is a relative term anyway. And certainly duplexes are going to be more affordable than, uh, than single family houses. And God knows we need affordable housing. Um, uh, so if you get six more units, uh, if you get 14 instead of eight, then you're amortizing land costs and infrastructure costs over a larger number of units. Do you bring that number down? Does that contribute to solving a collective community problem with regard to affordable housing, at least in some relative sense? I think it does, but I don't think that can be a driving factor because I don't think that's what we're supposed to look at. Um, it, it is a request. We have no obligation to grant it, certainly. Um, and, uh, and I think it calls for some judgment on if we do want to grant it, on what basis do we want to grant it? Um, I certainly share the view of lowering the height. Um, I think that could be a significant trade-off were we to support um, uh, a higher density for some more units. Uh, I think that would also significantly um, decrease the impact of uh, building anything at all on that ridge line. Um, and, but I also close with saying a phrase I heard from another mayor in Colorado many years ago, nobody has a vested right to a view. So uh, that's a risk you take, um, uh, but it's not something we should ignore. So I know with Brian, I'm kind of on the fence. I'd like to hear what other people have to say. Greg, where are you at? Uh, to me, I kind of feel like uh, the same sticking point of what I had on the first uh, go around is the kind of the same on this one where the zoning regulations under 8.2.1 uh, section C, which uh, John Lannerman uh, voiced as well and uh, articulated it very well. Uh, basically, it reads that the advantages of this zone district requested substantially outweigh the disadvantages to the county and neighboring land uh, by this amendment. Um, to me, looking at how many uh, high, um, areas that are already serviceable for water that are vacant uh, right in that area. It, it doesn't allude to me that there needs to be more density, more zone change in, in that place. Um, I do understand that there is a builder who wants to actually build on this property and it's not just a subdivision. I think that's a big point for me uh, where it's actually gonna get developed and I feel more strongly than where the other vacant lands, then you need to have someone who will actually start building over there. But there again, those developers had those same plans and that kind of stuff and that all fell through. I don't want this to be a 22 year plan as well where we're just sitting on the same thing where nobody wants to do a high density, medium density and uh, we're just kind of sitting on this land until something maybe happens with the ski area or something like that. My concerns hugely are with the community. The community is voicing that this is not going to be working. There are plenty of vacant lands around here and that kind of stuff. And for me, that just doesn't substantially outweigh the disadvantages. And so for me, I'm against it. Um, Peter. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think I'm, I'm placing a lot of weight on the fact that the, um, 
owner developer uh, purchased this um, this land fairly recently, and at the time he purchased it, uh, the stagecoach plan was already in place, saying that this should not be rezoned. At the time he purchased it, it was not zoned for what he is proposing, um, and and so I see no great reason to kind of. Uh, uh, overrule the stagecoach uh, plan or the uh, community's feeling about this. Um, if, if I were going to buy and develop a parcel of land, I would probably make sure that that parcel was zoned for what I was proposing. So um, I'm against moving this forward for more than eight units. Peter, could you Clarify your last statement, please. Um, I'm not sure I, I heard it right. Well, I, I think, think that I think under the current zoning, if we don't change the zoning, it's it's allowable for eight units, not for ah, fourteen. Okay. <clears throat> I just want to make sure I understood. Thank you. He is he is requesting an increase um, in the density, which would require us to rezone it. Correct. Thank you, Peter. Um, Roberta? Well, this is a tough one. That, that's why we're sitting here, I guess, because we, uh, we try to take everybody's interest to heart in these meetings. Um, this is the sketch plan. And so I want to remind everybody that it is a very preliminary look at the property. Um, I think it's an opportunity for developers and builders in the county to get feedback from the community as well as the planning commission early on before they've spent a lot of money on engineering. I think there are things that could be done um, to make this plan more palatable to the community. And um, for example, on the lower, I, I'm an advocate for absolutely minimizing the amount of uh, impervious surface and I don't understand why the cul-de-sac goes all the lower cul-de-sac goes all the way to the end of the property it could be pulled back at least between the last two lots and reduce that um, I would personally like to see a landscape plan and that's something that isn't required until the preliminary uh, part of this process but a landscape plan, I think, would also help to alleviate people's concerns regarding where retaining walls are, if their retaining walls are, what kind of landscaping would be put in place, how would this area be screened, that kind of thing. Um, the cul-de-sacs, for example, could even have planters in them. Um, I agree with the comment that was made about reducing the building heights. That's something that could also um, be a win for the community. Um, and the other thing is I feel really strongly that it would be in the builder's best interest to meet with the, either the community association or at least the adjacent homeowners uh, and talk about uh, modifications that could be made between a sketch plan and a preliminary plan that would make the plan more acceptable to the community. Um, I come from a planning background myself and um, I think meeting with people ahead of these meetings uh, helps a lot. Just my two cents on that issue. 
I do think that the the plan is advised, the stagecoach community plan is an advisory document. Um, if you look at the route county uh, subdivision regulations, every single category of residential development says there will be no more uh, of this type of residential category added to period in the county. So, you know, there's a reason that the zoning regulations also allow for zone changes because the way that the documents are written, everything says you can't, you can't change anything. Um, I, I suspect that was done originally to protect the ag forestry interests in the county, but I wasn't around when that was written. Um, I do think it's in the public interest to uh, increase the amount of housing in this, in this community. Uh, we desperately need housing. Um, I'm not opposed to duplexes and, and that's why I brought out the, the, I pointed out to the group earlier that uh, the existing general residential zoning category already allows for duplexes. So if, if that's the concern of the neighbors, then unfortunately, even if they were to move forward with the eight lots that are currently, uh, eight, eight units that are currently approved for this site or vested for this site, they could still build duplexes as a, as a right. So I think the issue is to make the plan more attractive and palatable to people and, um, Let's see if there's anything else. Oh, and I want to um, at least recognize the fact that the builder did change from 22 units to 14. That is uh, a huge concession, I think, on, on his part. And I would look forward to moving this into a preliminary uh, plan. And I would like to see more architectural detail. I'd like to see more landscape detail. And um, I'd like to understand that they had gone and met with the community leaders separate and apart from the next planning commission hearing. Thank you, Roberta. Um, Mr. Norris. I think Roberta hit it on the head there. That's pretty good. If you were to look into um, the south of Stagecoach, all of the very, very high-end ranches that have changed hands and split up and sold parcels of their properties uh, things are changing in stagecoach and it's headed towards the uh, towards the dam. And on the other note, on just the opposite side of unaffordable all the way down to what is affordable, I think these guys are hitting it right in the middle and it should be considered part of stagecoach's uh, future. Oak Creek today, right down in front of my house, two tiny houses rolled in. So they've got a community of tiny houses, which could be considered in stagecoach too, but what I don't think we could please everybody. And I, right from the get-go, if they're gonna build here, I think the higher density and the zone change are appropriate for this area. And I'm willing to move ahead with it at this point also. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Uh, Linda. I agree with all the comments when people have said this is very difficult. Um, and I think in particular, what Brian has noted is uh, that you have to have some respect for the 
people that live in the community, and I think everyone on the commission does, that you know the, the community definitely worked hard to create their own areas plan. And I think um, some of them may have relied on reading that plan. Others probably didn't know anything about any of it until suddenly it was in their backyard. Uh, but that doesn't make it any less relevant that the, the stagecoach area plan is very important. And I would have to say that probably the issue of you know, density and zoning is one of the more significant issues in, uh, in a plan, um, whether it's advisory or not. Um, you know, there are, are little uh, smaller issues within the plan that are advisory that probably don't trump something as important as density, but it is advisory. One of the things that is, I think, in the stagecoach plan is a desire to see infill occur. And that certainly would be reflected on this piece of property. Um, I think that's an important goal. This is a piece of property that can be reasonably developed. Um, I think, you know, from an overall view from the, mass, the, the county master plan, being able to develop a place that has water and sewer has to be one of the, again, a significant uh, advisory component of both these master plans because uh, that really is the goal, uh, I think, from our Route County master plan is to achieve infill and to achieve it with a building that has water and sewer. And I think that, you know, what is another aspect for the folks that live out there is to recognize that a developer does have the right to develop, you know, what what he bought. Uh, and right now, what he bought were the eight lots, or I'm sorry, the four lots that could be developed as eight duplexes, or I guess four duplexes, eight living units. One of the things that I um, had asked about that I think tends, I'm, and I'm still on the fence too, but this tips me towards at least seeing the sketch, move from the sketch plan is a duplex is a footprint. Um, and so you are really dealing with 10 footprinted buildings. It does have, you know, two separate living units, but I think that's different. Um, and particularly with them being at the lower level, um, you could certainly have four houses, single family homes built on the lots that currently exist. That would be far more massive if the builder wanted to do that. Um, so, you know, there are aspects to the changes that, that, are, that the developer has made that I think, um, definitely have made this a more attractive situation moving forward. I have to agree with uh, Jim's comment that despite the fact that we all know the political climate and the, the issues we're all reading about in the paper that there is no housing for the people that wanna live here full time and want 
to work here. Um, unfortunately, we don't necessarily get to make that part of this particular decision. We have no guarantee that these houses would be affordable. So, you know, or attainable or reasonable or any of the words they want to use. I think we just have to, uh, again, are those all goals we'd like to see? Sure, but it's not part of what we can require. So I think we have to let that argument go. Um, it's, not, it's not a reason to approve this plan. Um, I think that the next stage is going to be significant. And as you said, Steve, there are so many things that I consider to be issues. Um, and I am on the fence on this um, because I go back to then the whole concept that the, the, the sub area plan is something that the people who created it should have a right to re rely on. And in this particular case, the builder or developer in November 2020, so not even a year ago, certainly knew what that plan was. Um, so he could certainly move forward and still develop his subdivision, just not necessarily with this configuration. I'm not sure that all the folks who I suspect the people who spoke tonight have been pretty involved in understanding what's going on. Um, I'm not sure that everyone necessarily has been, uh, but I think the reality is that the builder knew, uh, the developer knew, and as we've said, they don't have a guarantee that this zoning would be uh, approved, but they do have the ability to build on four lots. So I'm, yeah, I'll, I'll wait to hear what everybody else finishes with, but it is a concern to me. Um, it's an improvement over what we saw, which I think was um, a glaring issue. And now uh, I'm torn with whether we should move to that next step or not. Thank you, Linda. Um, Andy, you've got your hand up. I had a quick question, I guess, for Greg. Um, you, you reiterated um, John's um, point about uh, the zoning and the benefits to the community, how they might impact your decision and the, the specific regulation that um, was called out. Do you feel that there's no benefit in taking potential 40 foot tall duplexes on the ridge line and moving them down, there's no benefit to that potential action in the chain by doing this change in zoning and putting forth the plan that they've submitted. Is that removing duplexes from the ridge line, is that not some type of benefit? No, I agree that uh, there's some kind of benefits. I kind of feel like the visual impacts and the everything else that uh, has been alluded to through the neighborhood and with the vacant lots that are just so, so close to, to that area that could be, you know, used and potentially solve those problems that are already there. Why create more density when density hasn't been selling in that area? 
uh, you know, we're, we're not really solving the problem per se by doing this zone change. Uh, it is p potential with uh, the builder and everything coming, but there's already some good areas to, to build on that, that has already has all the input. We lost your audio. Greg. I feel like um, getting, getting back to your point of, uh, yes, they did concede some uh, of their density to, to make it more a better use so that the visual impact and everything is not there. But to me to say that uh, the 250 vacant lands and all that kind of stuff that there is a need in this area, I, I still just do not see that it's uh, substantial enough to change that zone because we already have so much already there. If, and this was a question that I wanted to ask staff, how many of the existing lots that are already platted are available to be developed into duplexes? Because I think we can all agree that duplexes will probably fall lower on the um, scale of purchase price versus a single family home. Um, I, it is important to note that I recently heard a quote of $650 a square foot um, for a construction cost, um, which again, we're talking about high-end residential development, um, but that quote of that, that square footage cost actually caused a homeowner to stop their plans to build. I believe that we are possibly reaching a ceiling of square foot cost that is going to kind of maybe slow down some of this multi-million dollar development. But I think if we were to look, um, you know, again, speaking from my own personal experience, my mom bought a condo up in Shushmark because that was the only thing available that was under $300,000. Like it's absolutely ridiculous at this point that people can't find even attainable housing. Um, and so, you know, I would ask you to consider, I think, everyone that's on the fence can remember that at any time you can say no in the next phase. And as someone who has voted no often <laughs> and many times, you, you're, you can do that at any point in this process. And I highly encourage it. Um, but I think that the concession of, you know, I think it, changing this zoning and moving forward with the plan, taking duplexes off the ridge line and only having single family homes up there is actually a benefit to the adjoining, um, especially the neighborhood across the street. Um, but either way, the developer can build something up on top of there. Thank you. Thank you, Eddie. Ryan, you got your hand up quick? Yeah, yeah, I'll be quick. I'm gonna try and wrap to, this up. Yep, just a quick comment that sometimes we can get to thinking we're smarter than everyone else in the room and how important the community input is. But also, I don't know, I, I wanna see another look at this to see if we can make it better than where it is right now. And if we can't, then we let it go at the next stage. That's at the developer's risk. Uh, Brian, you probably pretty much 
stole all of my comments. First of all, all of the comments that have been generated by the commissioners um, have been totally appropriate and totally on target and quite good. Um, I pretty much made myself three notes and they're just words. Uh, one was infill, one was footprints, and the last one was, um, it's, it's not a good word, but I call it control. And where I'm coming from is I'd be a bit more comfortable if I could see the next steps that the developer has for us, as opposed to letting those eight quads be built on top or wherever unchecked totally. And I think by moving this forward, we continue to have some input and some control over what's going on, as opposed to we can kill it and we can deny the petition, but then it's pretty much at the builder's um, mercy to do what he chooses to do. And our input is gone. So with that, what I'd like to do, Mr. Landerman, we've closed the public session, public comment portion. So we're not really gonna take any more comments from the public, I'm sorry about that. Um, as I view this, as it stands right now, we've got four in support of moving forward. We've got two sitting on the fence and we've got three against. So I'd entertain a motion, whomever, um, and kind of go forward and from that, based on that knowledge. And remember there's, there's two parts to this motion. Um, you know, we've got a zoning request and, and a dense uh, a rezoning request and um, the sketch approval. Mr. Chair. Mr. Norris. Uh, I would move, move to approve the Landlot sketch subdivision and zone change. Part uh, one would be the sketch uh, PL21 dash 108 with uh, gotta get to the right page. Uh, general conditions one through uh, one through hey, eleven. Bill, are we? Uh, can I assume that you are citing the findings of fact as written in the staff report? Exactly. Yes. Thank you. One and two as written. Thank you. Uh, we have a motion from Commissioner Norris to move forward and uh, approve. Now, let me do something here just a minute. to approve activity PL-21-108 and PL-21-109 uh, with the findings of fact and the conditions of approval as provided in the staff report. Is there a second? Don't you have to do two separate motions? I mean, two separate. I don't, I don't, Sarah, I don't know if that's really necessary. Well, there's different it? findings of facts associated yeah, with- so um, I would recommend what Roberta just said. So Bill, um, I made the recommendation for sketch at PL21-108 oh, yeah. with the findings of fact as written one and two with conditions of approval 
um, one through 11 is what's on the table right now. And then I would recommend we can go to the next one. I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, but, uh, is the applicant allowed closing comments at this point before motions are taken? Uh, no, we don't do that. Okay. That's okay. Thank you. Um, so, Bill, you revised, we're splitting it up into PL-121- Correct. That's, that's all I've moved forward with was 108, the, the sketch. Oh. With uh, the findings of fact one and two as written and one through 11 general conditions. I would agree, just hang on one minute. Do we have a second on Commissioner Morris, Norris's uh, motion? I'll second it. Thank you, Roberta. Is there discussion on the motion? Just as a point of order, Steve, and as a, a friendly amendment, I would change this from a recommendation or change this from a, uh, an approval to a, um, a recommendation for approval. Because again, we are not the um, deciding body on this particular. You're right, but it is a recommendation. Yeah, it is a recommendation. I got it. I got it. Yeah, recommendation. Yep. Thank you. Yep. And uh, James, uh, Jim <laughs> has also his hand raised. Uh, I, I, I probably should have suggested this earlier, but if the um, if the mover and seconder would consider adding a, uh, an additional condition that there be a, uh, further consideration of the height of 40 feet as this is uh, uh, moved forward. Um, then I need to take the temperature of everyone on that additional condition. So is, isn't that a thing for the next stage? No? Well, it, it, it is, in, if, if I get a comment, Steve, it is in my view, I guess I'm just trying to call attention to it in the, well, in what we're saying. The other option, Jim, if this is, makes you comfortable, um, I think there's been enough discussion about that height issue um, via Brian, I think via um, Roberta, and I think even Linda as well. So to that extent, it's there. No, Steve, your points, that's a good point. Well taken. It appears in the record and it appears yeah. uh, in the record with some emphasis. So uh, um, uh, I'll withdraw that comment. Uh, any other discussion on the motion and second? Okay, hearing none. Sarah, in this particular instance, I'd prefer if you do a roll. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, Jim DeFrancia. Uh, yes. Louise, uh, Linda Miller. Yes. Peter Flint. No. Greg Yeager. Yes. Bill Norris. Uh, yes. Roberta Marshall. Yes. Andrew Benjamin. Yes. Brian Kelly. Yes. And Steve Hornkey. Yes. Um, the yeses have it. 
The motion, oh, I'm sorry, the recommendation is approved. Uh, could, could I jump in, Peter? Could, could we get some rationale as to why you decided to deny it? Um, I, th I think I already stated that in the round table. Could you state it again for the uh, for this portion of it, please? Um, very briefly, if if um, if a owner or developer wanted to um, come up with a project that had 14 units, he should buy a parcel that allowed 14 units, both by zoning and by the area plan, which is not the case in this. Thank you, Peter. Okay, thank you. Um, we need now a motion on the zoning change, which is PO-21-109. Mr. Chair. Mr. Commissioner Norris. <clears throat> I move to approve the recommendation of the zone change uh, PL 21-109 uh, with a lot With findings of fact, one is written and the conditions one and two and three as written. Second. That could be a second. Thank you, Brian. So we have a motion and a second on, zone, on the zoning change, PL-21-109 with findings of fact one in conditions one, two, and three. Any discussion on the motion? Mm. Hearing none, Sarah, once again, could you close the roll? Okay. Uh, Jim Francho. I'm yes. Sorry. I'm sorry, has there been a second? I was yeah, there was. Second. Yes, it was Brian seconded. Kelly. Apologies, Sarah. Linda Miller. Yes. Peter Flint. No. Greg Yeager. No. Uh, Bill Norris. Uh, yes. Uh, Roberta Marshall. Yes. Andrew Benjamin. Yes. Brian Kelly. Yes. Steve Warnke. Yes. Again, the yeses have it. Uh, the the uh, zone change PL-21-109 is recommended. Um, we do and need that, for I the believe. record for Greg and Peter, once again, Please. just to yep. um, note their reasons for their descending vote. Peter? My rationale is uh, I do not find that it uh, fits with uh, the zoning uh, zoning code 8.2.1C. Thank you. Um, and it's not, it's not consistent with the stagecoach plan. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, next item on the agenda would be administrative matters, I believe. Yep. Christy, that should be you. Christy, are you uh, with us? 
Oh, I am. I was on mute. Sorry. Ah, okay. No worry. <laughs> we all have those issues. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining tonight. Um, Alan, this will be this is a recommendation to the Board of County Commissioners and will be heard on June 15th or 16th. Uh, June June 15th at 9:40 a.m. Okay. Um, and with that, we'll just move into our administrator's report and some of that has to do with what we touched on about um, virtual meeting and in-person meeting at this point. And we have discussed that we should expect to move into in-person meetings come July, our next meeting that is scheduled. However, that is going to follow the Board of County Commissioners lead and their assessment of how that is working. I do fully anticipate that we will have the opportunity to finally, you know, meet in person again um, after a long year. And um, I will have more information for you at our next scheduled Planning Commission meeting on the 17th, where we do have an item scheduled for a special use permit um, that is for a rec facility for essentially glamping um, it, outside of Yampa. Um, so you'll have more information and that is scheduled at your next meeting. And then I can follow up with the direction of in-person versus um, Zoom meetings. Um, just looking at my notes here. Um, I do want to, to save everybody the brain damage and time at this hour. I know that we discussed um, through the email you all received on the next steps of the Stagecoach Community Plan, the Stagecoach, <laughs> you can notice I'm still on that, the update of the master plan. Um, I had sent you a Dropbox link to all five of the vendors who responded to the RFP request. I also provided you a summary of what was included in that request. And I do wanna get everybody's feedback on your recommendations on the vendors who, um, who responded to the RFP. Um, I know that it was a lot of information and I'm gonna go ahead and just assume that probably not all of you, or you can totally impress me and no judgment here, by the way, if you didn't get to totally dive into all of the lengthy proposals. Um, but we, I'm thinking we can have more of a high level discussion. Sarah and I had the opportunity to meet today. Um, my staff has been inundated for the past week and a half. Um, so I know everybody hasn't fully dived into the proposals. Um, when I sent out that email, initially the timeline was going to be that the selection committee, um, which is formulated with the county commissioner, Steve, myself, um, the county manager, and um, Robin Shepard, who is um, handling a lot of the outreach for the community as the selection committee. The intent was to meet tomorrow. Um, but the county commissioners actually have a conflict because they have CCI, which is a yearly, um, maybe even every, uh, I don't know if it's quarterly actually, uh, meeting 
that they won't be able to meet tomorrow, Monday or Tuesday. So the next day that we could all meet to discuss is next Thursday, which gives us a little more time. Um, so if anybody, and no judgment, if you didn't get to fully you know, dive into all of that, um, I would invite you all to email me or give me a call um, between now and next Thursday. Well, that would give me a little time if you could do it by Tuesday, because that's my staff's deadline as well, um, to have a discussion of who you think your top picks are. I can give you a summary of my and Sarah's thoughts, um, you know, and hopefully we're all on the same page. From Sarah and my perspective, we were really just looking at who best responded to the request and the task at hand. And although a lot of the proposals are really, you know, um, uh, you know, they were impressive. It's just, you know, my concern was some of them were more urban related um, and focused on either branding or um, really outside of a county development plan with the exception of, and I have no, in my opinion, and Sarah could, chime in if she wants, but um, I think we're on the same page, is that Logan Simpson actually and Cushing Terrell, in just our opinion, were the two that I think did the best at acknowledging the RFP and also the addendum that um, th those two actually contacted um, Julie Kennedy, who's our purchasing agent, I can't get involved, you know, it all has to be done like so. And so questions have to be filtered through the purchasing agent. So they contacted her with more information and for clarification on really, you know, a, a more clear understanding of what their role is, which is really not to lead us, it's more or less to be a support role because also, as we all know, we did a lot of work, preliminary work to get to the scope and to identify what you all wanted to see in the plan of the master um, in the update process, including really responding to more of the preservation aspects as well as really understanding their role. That is just you know, our opinion. That's not to say that the other three, which was Norris Design, DTJ, and also um, Design Workshop, didn't do a good job. But in my opinion, I don't think that they um, really were, it was more of candid of, you know, this is what they do. They're big firms and not to say that can't do a good job. And I'm not also not saying that they may not be worth interviewing, but um, you know, those would be the top two for Sarah and I, which was Logan Simpson and Cushing Terrell. Um, what I would like to do is open it up for anybody that had a strong opinion one way or the other or want to add to that. It's okay if you totally disagree and I would like to hear your, your comments. Really? If you're not fully prepared to do it, um, we can certainly, you know, there's no pressure here to even respond at this hour oh. or if you really didn't get to dump, dive in. So we can, um, you can, everybody can email me of what your opinions are. 
Um, Roberta, I would love to hear your opinion. So I did have an opportunity um, to look at all of them. I, I'm, I have to confess I didn't spend, you know, I spent like an hour or so, maybe hour and a half. Um, Logan Simpson, um, I thought had a lot of relevant experience and I really appreciated the fact that they limited their examples to three counties that I thought were very consistent with Route County um, in the sense that they're you know, adjacent to a lot of open space and they have agricultural roots. And so I, I found their, um, their proposal to be uncluttered, clear, and also the least expensive, which you, know, you have to give them credit for that, a significantly less expensive. Um, I also really liked um, the design workshop, the way it was written. I thought it was, they had done research in Durout County. They were directly addressing some of the things that had been in the materials that you provided them. They'd looked at statistics already. Um, it and it was very well written. And I, you know, I've read a lot of plans in my life and um, they can become verbose and you can just, get lost in them. And I thought theirs was very clear and direct as well. So uh, those two would be on my list. And then the third, the, the third one is a tough one because I thought Cushing Terrell has a, a great um, consulting team. Farron Pierce, who also is on the team for Design Workshop is probably the premier transportation planning consultant in the United States. Uh, I personally have hired them many, many times. They are phenomenal. Of course, it depends who you get from, you know, who you get on the team, but you know, you can always tap higher in the organization if you need to. EPS is also a really well-known economic development uh, consultant. It's done a lot of work. Um, I just found Cushing Terrell's uh, proposal to be very process oriented and very verbose. And, and I didn't enjoy reading it. So <laughs> That, you know, I, it's true. I thought their graphics were, were the best. They had probably the clearest and neatest graphics. And so if you could get the verbiage cut back, I think they would be fine. And um, the only question I have, and I, and I do not have an opinion about this, T, uh, T, J, T, what is it? I just wondered how you folks feel um, about the fact that they have Tyler Gibbs on their team. Funny you bring that up. Um, so for the, those of you who don't know who Tyler Gibbs is, um, he is, was the planning director of the city. And so while I did not know he was going to be a partner in one of the vendors who applied, um, you know, my first thought was, hey, this, you know, he's very experienced. He has written many, I'll say urban plans was my thought. Mm. He worked down in Denver. He worked for the city for many of years. Um, and he was part of, you know, West Steamboat, you know, part of a lot of, you know, what has gone through in Steamboat. You know, my one thought is, hey, that's really great that we'd have somebody who has local knowledge and they do highlight that in that proposal. 
But my concern is I thought the overall concept of the plan concerned me that it was definitely urban centric. Mm. And, um, and I, I believe Sarah felt the same way. Um, those might've been some of her words she used. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, my other concern reading the onset, like the first two pages, which concerned me with them is that they, they disagreed with our assessment that we have done a lot of preliminary work and they were recommending, like I interpreted it as start over from scratch. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if anybody else, you know, read that. Um, and while I am not like sold on the fact, I have my vision of how I think the next year should go. Um, And that is essentially we have gleaned, you know, the six major themes and I envision that we could to get to adoption by May of 2022, that we could highlight each theme per month, six months to really focus and dive in on housing diversity as a topic and, you know, an environmental topic and a transportation topic, you know throughout the next six months and that would keep us on track because we have already gone through the initial outreach to come up with those themes. If somebody were to make a recommendation otherwise, I wouldn't be opposed to hearing what they have to say, but the fact I thought we were really clear in our RFP materials that, you know, this is why we we wanted to be part of the process. We didn't want to hand this over to somebody to take it and run with it, you know, to start over, you know, without really um, driving the bus, if you will. Um, so that was my concern, but I'm still on the fence about it. So um, I'm glad you brought that up. Case, though, I, I, I think that that Logan Simpson Design Workshop and Cushing Terrell would be my top three. Okay. I was, I'm, I'm still not sold on who the third would be, but I also feel like interviewing and coming up with a good slew of questions and, and I would like all of you to email me um, any, you know, reading through them, what you think you would like us to ask. Any one of the, um, you know, kind of boil that down would be really helpful. Sarah, you were just gonna chime in about- um, uh, I was just gonna note um, about something about Norris cause nobody had really talked about Norris. And I just wanted to comment that they had done the recent, uh, recently completed Hayden master plan and the Hayden Master Plan, um, although the content of it is really good, I've read it in detail, and although the content is really good, it's filled with jargon. For somebody who's not familiar with planning speak, it is incomprehensible. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just so full, and it's, and it's not, I don't think it's organized very well. I mean, if you read through the whole thing, the content is good, but I just feel like it's so full of jargon that um, it really bothered me. In my conversation, just to follow up with that with Sarah today is while I agreed with her, I also don't know, we have to consider what control these communities had in the development of their plans. A lot of communities do just fork it over to a consultant, right? I do appreciate Norris where they they do have an understanding of the community. And in particular, something we do want to acknowledge is the future of the power plant in Hayden and the area, the the airport area. And we all know that we really don't have any 
industrial zones in the county for people. So what we are seeing is people trying to start businesses here. They can't afford steamboat. Christy, you know, you're ahead of the, you're getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> Brian has his hand up, Christy. Uh, who, Brian? Brian, yeah. Go ahead. So I was involved with the school board uh, uh, superintendent selection in 2010. And we, the school board, chose to take it on ourselves. And I'm going to reiterate kind of what Christy said in a different matter. We came up with a superintendent that's still in place today, 11 years later, because we did it. And it was kind of the type of superintendent we thought would fit the community the best. And I think we really need to look at that in hiring this master plan consultant, not their vision of Steamboat or Route County, but our vision. And will this consulting firm fit together with, like Christy said, some of the work, the, the legwork we've already done? You, you just, you know, it sort of ties into earlier in the evening with the stagecoach community plan too, is that we're kind of down this path a little bit. And I, for one, am not really into reinventing the wheel and going back to zero at this stage of the game, unless somebody presented me with a really compelling reason. Well, I think um, I have read them all and I need to read them all again. And I will have comments later. I'm not going to take up a lot of time, but just to give you Christy and Sarah um, a little bit of, I, th this is the quote that I wrote to myself on Logan Simpson. Seems like they paid more attention to what we already have and pick up at our phase, what four is it? Yeah, I, I agree, that, I agree. That was my comment as well. Yeah, so after that, we probably beat this thing to death and it's getting late. Um, are we all good? Yeah, I think we are. Um, I'm, I'm good. And that's not to cut anybody off other than you guys can all, um, you know, feel free to reach out if you want to have a conversation about it or just shoot me an email on your comments. Yeah, you need them by Tuesday, you said. Yeah, Tuesday, I'm getting them from all of staff. Um, and I'd appreciate your comments as well. Okay. And I would once again, of, hey, just real quick, I would kind of lend towards what Roberta said. Um, okay, I think we're probably wrapping this thing up. Once again, I want to thank the commissioners. I know it was a long meeting and perhaps probably one of the tougher ones, but I think, you know, we got something accomplished and we'll just keep on moving forward and see where we go. But again, thank you for everything this evening. I appreciate it. Great discussion. Great discussion. Thanks, Steve, for leading it well. Greg, what's up? Well, one thing I was uh, wondering, are we going to vote for the vice chair, uh, maybe like at our next meeting or at our workshop coming up? That would be the 17th for um, our next meeting. Or if you all wanted to do that after the training, um, we can do that too. I think it would be more appropriate if we do it the next day for our meeting of the 17th. But and I'll leave that up to you. Greg, to clarify, you're not voting for just vice chair. You're voting for chair and vice chair. And vice chair. Thank you. 17th. Okay. Perfect. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. Thank Thanks you, everyone. Have a good evening. Good Thank you. Good night. Okay. I got to go eat.
Me too. Me too. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> See you later. Check, check my text. I just sent you a text. Okay. Bye.